good morning, Chair. Chair, by the look of things, it, it, it looks as if we can start now because I can see uh, all members are in now, except those members that we have uh, received the apologies uh, from them. Um, uh, uh, I think I think we, we can we, we can we can start to chairperson in the meeting. Good morning, uh, honourable members of the Portfolio Committee on Tourism. Um, Recording uh, in progress, ladies and ladies and gentlemen, uh, who who are part of our meeting, the delegation from Tourism Business of South Africa, TPCSA, that is coming to brief the committee. A very good morning, everyone. Uh, honorable members, I request that I address this meeting with my video closed because I've been alerted that uh, I do not have the best of uh, connection. That is due to the rain <clears throat> that is pouring down uh, in my area. We have heavy rains from last night uh, till now. Uh, the rains are pouring down, and uh, due to that, uh, the network coverage uh, sometimes becomes a challenge. But I hope I'm able to maintain this connectivity till the end of the team. Honorable members, allow me to welcome you to our Portfolio Committee on Tourism today, uh, the 15th of uh, March, as we uh, listen to stakeholders who are working in the tourism space, in the tourism value chain, to brief us on the status of uh, tourism and how far have we gone into uh, of COVID. We know that uh, since the advent of uh, COVID-19 on our shores, uh, tourism uh, businesses and uh, the value chain in tourism had had uh, devastation and lost long-lasting effects. To this day, there are businesses which have not been able to reopen and others uh, that have opened are barely making even, are breaking even. So as we pick up the pieces, we are on the recovery in the sector. Uh, we, we will hear from those who are the role players in the tourism sectors to, to brief the committee on work done on how far, on where the challenges are, where they believe that the members of parliament, because we are the ones that create the environment in which their businesses operate, where can we assist them? Because we know that uh, for tourism to succeed, we all need uh, several role players who will come on board. Uh, Mr. Boltina, can you flight our agenda so that we are following a sequence of the agenda is uh, adopted by us. Honorable members, uh, the agenda is in front of us. I will, uh, I will, I will invite the honorable, the, I will invite Mr. Boltina, the secretariat, of the committee to be able to take us through apologies. 
Thank you, Chairperson. Uh, Chair, the apologies that I have here in front of me, the first two are still uh, standing apologies, Chair. Uh, the apology from the Chair of the Portfolio Committee, uh, who is still, who she is still not well. Uh, the second one is from Honorable Pumbi, uh, who's also not well as well, Chairperson. And then the third one is from Honorable Sitole. Uh, he has attended, Chairperson, the uh, Portfolio Committee on Transport. Um, also, Honorable Moteka, uh, I've also received a message from him as well. Uh, he has been admitted uh, in hospital. I've also received the chair also as well, the apology from, from DM uh, that he, he will not be able to join this meeting. Uh, I saw when I started the meeting, I think the minister is, is also in attendance, Jefferson, uh, in this meeting as well. I saw her coming in. Uh, I hope she's still in the platform. I was also advised that uh, the delegation from the uh, uh, Department of, of Tourism, from the entity, the SA Tourism, and also from the Office of the Auditor General, uh, they are also in attendance in this meeting as observers, Chairperson. Thank you, Chair. Uh, thank you, Mr. Poltina. <clears throat> All members, uh, on behalf of the committee, allow me to uh, welcome uh, the Minister of Tourism, Mayor Lindy Wesisulu, uh, the delegation from the department and the entity, and also those from the Auditor General. You are welcome to our meeting as the Portfolio Committee on Tourism as we deliberate on issues and uh, strategies to uh, try and assist uh, the sector in its recovery path. Honourable members, I will then invite a member who will uh, duly move for the adoption of the agenda. Nozuko, can you mute your mic? Nozuko. Uh, Honourable members, I will invite you to be able to duly adopt, uh, move for the adoption of the agenda so that we can be able to... Honourable Chairperson. Uh, you are noted, uh, Honourable April. I move for the adoption of the agenda as it is, Chair. Uh, thank you, Honorable April. Honorable April has uh, moved for the adoption of the agenda. Can we have a seconder? Honorable Honorable Chair? Chairperson, that's uh, me. I do move uh, the, the adoption of the agenda. Thank you, Honorable Miani has seconded the move by, by Honorable April. Uh, honorable members, this is the agenda that we'll be following uh, in the meeting of the 15th of March as we are getting a briefing from TBCSA, uh, that is Tourism Business Council of South Africa, on the status and the progress of uh, recovery in the sector. They will also be briefing us on uh, challenges uh, and where there are strengths in the recovery path, since we know that tourism was brought on its knees by uh, COVID-19. Uh, due to the fact that tourism wanted people to converge, it was the first uh, to be able to uh, 
be brought down and closed so that we are able to curb the spread uh, of uh, this deadly virus. Uh, Honourable members, with those few words, allow me then to invite the minister first, uh, Messi Sulu, if you are on the platform, to uh, greet us. If you have anything to say to the committee uh, before we invite TBCSA. I do not uh, hear nor see the minister in the platform. Uh, I will then invite uh, the chairperson uh, of uh, TBCSA. I, I saw there is uh, Mr. Komani. We have had uh, interactions uh, with their, with uh, this uh, with their organization several times. I will then invite the leader of the delegation to start briefing the committee and introduce uh, their delegation to the portfolio committee. Thank, thank you, Honorable Chair. And good morning, uh, Honorable members of the Tourism Portfolio Committee, uh, Minister Sulu, uh, the delegation from the National Department of Tourism, and our colleagues from uh, uh, SA Tourism. Good morning, good to see you all. And how I wish we were all sitting in uh, uh, Parliament and have this uh, on a face-to-face -face basis. Uh, but I wanted to greet you and um, I'm here with my delegation, uh, the members of the uh, Tourism Business Council who are directors of the board. But uh, maybe just as a quick uh, briefing, uh, as they say, time flies when you have uh, fun and challenges. The last time we briefed this portfolio committee, which we're always grateful for the opportunity to brief this committee was on the 23rd of February, 2021, just, just over a year ago. And as I say, this committee has always been gracious to allow us to share ideas, learn from each other, and also pave the way forward. And uh, Chairs, you have already said that our industry was uh, hard hit, decimated. And I remember distinctly on the 23rd of February, when we're talking about the challenges that were facing us, uh, I personally didn't think that our sector would be where it is today. So we've made progress, and part of the briefing today, uh, Honorable Chair, will be to give this committee a progress report as where the sector is, and also share with you some of the uh, obstacles that we still have to deal with in order to ensure that South Africa remains competitive as a destination. With that, Chair, I'll introduce my delegation, starting with me. My name is Blackie Komani. I'm the chairman of the Tourism Business Council. With me today, I have uh, Mr. Aaron Monensi. Aaron is the CEO of uh, the airline, uh, AZA, the airline association, 
uh, the, for the domestic airlines. And Aaron is here to deal with issues that are aviation related. The um, uh, second person for my delegation is Mr. Septi Bukula. Septi is the founder and the president of CESAR and uh, an organization that uh, develops uh, small businesses. We also have Mr. Lindelwa Isabella, who is the director of sales and revenue at the Tsokosan. We have uh, George Motema, the CEO of BASA, uh, an organization that uh, uh, is organized to look after international airlines that fly to South Africa. We have uh, Ms. Haneli Detroit, who represents uh, SATSA, an association that deals with the tour operators who are dealing with uh, ground arrangements. And last but by no means least, least we have uh, Mr. Chifue Chivango, uh, the CEO of the Tourism Business Council. So those are my, uh, that's my delegation today. But for us to move forward, uh, I'll just set the scene and uh, then we'll allow um, um, our members, our delegation, to deal with their specific issues there, Chair, if that's, uh, if that's fine with you. No, that's perfectly okay. And uh, with us, you can continue, Mr. Komani. Thank you so much, Chair. Chair, I'll take you back briefly to what um, the TPCSA as a background, we established in 1996, we're a private sector-driven organization, and they work very closely with the Department of Tourism and the South African uh, Tourism Board, or the SAT South African Tourism, and uh, in marketing South Africa. I think, Chair, going back to your words um, of the 23rd of February 2021, when you said a positive image of South Africa is critical. And so in collaboration with, national, with uh, the SAT, that's what TBCSA does. We collect levies, remit them to SAT, and in, a, in our effort to market South Africa and, and ensure that South Africa remains uh, uh, competitive as a destination. We are the voice of the industry. Uh, we raise issues on uh, policy issues with, uh, relating to tourism. We deal with the Minister of Tourism. We deal with the department. We deal with other uh, uh, departments that affect tourism, i.e. transport, health uh, during the pandemic, uh, home affairs on uh, visa issues. So, and those are policy issues that uh, we, can, we get involved in, uh, Chair. Uh, as values, Chair, we uh, strive for uh, collaboration, as I mentioned, and also for the resilience of the industry. And Chair, hopefully the honorable members, when you go through the recovery that we've seen, will see that this industry is, has bounced back. And it's a matter of how we co collectively between ourselves and our partners in the National Department of Tourism and SAT, how we accelerate that recovery. Yeah. Chair, um, as I say, we, we've all agreed that we've, uh, the industry was uh, decimated 
during COVID. And uh, exactly to your point to say that because we're a person-to-person sector, we were a a sector that was identified as a risk sector and understandable so. You know, as one someone said, the virus doesn't travel, people do travel. But I must say on this, um, we've gotten uh, received great support from the government in the form of tears. Um, because if it wasn't for that, I think we'll see our sector will have been in a worse uh, situation. And so as a sector, we're grateful for the collaboration that we're getting from the government. And also the speed at which uh, the virus was contained in South Africa through Department of Health, through the protocols that were put in place, it saved a lot of lives. And uh, also the easy matter of uh, um, uh, encouraging vaccination, it puts us in a much better position in the world that at least South Africa are, are getting vaccinated and Omicron virus didn't get out of control. Chair, with the decimation of the industry, it, it, it was indiscriminate. Whether you're small business or big business or medium-sized business were all affected equally. Probably more small business affected uh, 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 in a big way because of the sizes of the business. But we're grateful to see that some of the small business have recovered uh, nicely and therefore, you know, we can only grow from, from here. Uh, one of the things that helped uh, the recovery of the industry was uh, the domestic travel. We've seen the surge in the domestic travel uh, within South Africa uh, because at that stage we had red list, so foreigners were not coming uh, to South Africa, but our domestic market uh, really uh, played a big role in our recovery. But with what's happening in the world, with the economy uh, uh, being under pressure, fuel prices rising, interest rates uh, going up, food price going up, I, th- I think that domestic travel is going to take take, take a knock. But uh, I'm glad to say that even for the Easter weekend, uh, you know, when we look at the forward books, uh, the domestic travel is still um, uh, quite strong, So, which is a good sign. The impact on the global uh, conflict between Ukraine and Russia, from the inbound point of view, we haven't seen much uh, change. It's safe to say that uh, the thing that's going to affect us is the fuel costs. What you'll see is that airlines are going, probably going to start uh, imposing a fuel uh, 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 surcharges. But in terms of our arrivals, we haven't received uh, much cancellations uh, when we talk to our partners. I think precisely because um, in in terms of South Africa, Russia doesn't give us big volumes. It gives us uh, high spenders, but not uh, big volumes. The one thing that will address, and we'll talk about this uh, when we talk about the PCR, we're going to talk about the the confidence of the travelers. And the reason there, Chair, being that it's not so much, uh, it's the uncertainty that causes this, uh, this, um, this concerns. You know, when, um, when travelers uh, travel, they worry that will we be locked in the country? 
what happens um, if there's a lockdown in the country? We'll be able to return safely. What are the, what are the protocols? And these are issues, Chair, that I like us to through this uh, forum that we, we, we can talk about. And I'm glad that uh, Minister Sisulu is here. We can talk about the issue of the PCR, which uh, most of the countries are, are, drop, are, are dropping. And that creates an uncertainty in terms of the, of, of the travel. And I'm sure we'll, uh, my colleagues that are on the call will elaborate uh, on that. With that, Chair, uh, I will um, address the, the, last, the last slide, then I hand over to, to my colleagues. As I said, the, the industry has, um, on, on average, the industry is operating at between 30 and 40% of its 29 capacity. And with, if you go to places like restaurants, over the weekend, restaurants are full. Hotels over the weekend, lodges are, are quite full. Because you're dealing with domestic uh, travel, you'll find that um, uh, during the week, it's, it's a low value, value period. Uh, we saw in December, despite uh, Omicron and us being on the red list of the UK and other uh, European governments, uh, our, our, our occupancies were quite high. And I'll ask uh, Linda from Tsokosan maybe to comment on this when she, uh, when she talks about uh, domestic uh, tourism. Uh, government has started to travel, chair, uh, which is a good news and is a good sign of uh, recovering tourism. Uh, if events and conferences, Chair, I remember distinctly in, uh, in our meeting of the 23rd of February, this was the issue that was raised, that the events and conferences are still constrained, and hopefully that this is a matter that uh, can be addressed and that we can, uh, can increase the, the occupancy and the capacity at which we can take these conferences. It's encouraging that we saw meetings Africa taking place. I know that in Daba preparations for in, uh, tourism in Daba are taking place. So there's there's good movements there, uh, Chair. Chair, the job the jobs that you mentioned that we have lost, we've lost over four hundred and seventy thousand jobs due to COVID. But that number would have been worse if it wasn't for um, for tests, the assistance that we got from the government. And so far in the recent uh, uh, survey that we've done, only 37% of the employees are receiving 100% of the salary. And you see that within 12 SR group, that number is, quite, is, 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 is a true reflection of what's happening in the industry. International arrivals is, is growing, is improving. Uh, and uh, my colleagues from the aviation, being George and, uh, and, and Aaron, will comment on that. Chair, with that, I will hand over to my colleagues to address each uh, of the details of the issues that uh, we, we, we uh, that's correct. Yeah, I'll hand over to uh, my, my colleagues. Maybe let me start with Chief. Uh, Chief, if you can talk about the PCR test. I know that there's some great progress that is uh, made on that. And hopefully the minister were on the call or the uh, members from NDT can give us an update on where we are with the PCR. Chief? Uh, th thank you, Chair, and uh, good morning uh, <clears throat> uh, to the Chairman of the Portfolio Committee on Tourism, the members of the Portfolio Committee, uh, the Minister of Tourism, uh, colleagues from the Department of Tourism, 
as well as colleagues from South African Tourism. I will touch on the issue of PCR testing. Um, we all know that um, uh, since uh, the beginning of COVID, um, we've had many challenges uh, in terms of um, what are the requirements for those that are traveling into the country as well as out of the country in terms of uh, you know, regulations that we've put in place. And one of those requirements for traveling into South Africa that was put in place uh, at some point during COVID is that anyone who is traveling into South Africa will require a PCR test that's not less than 72 hours uh, before they depart, meaning that uh, anyone has to be tested. They have to be negative for them to be able to travel to South Africa. Now, that requirement was widely accepted across the globe uh, because many countries were doing similar thing. It was a standard then that uh, anyone that uh, you know, is traveling must be tested because we all didn't know the severity uh, of uh, COVID-19 and we were still learning and new information was still coming into the fore. As time went on, uh, and I remember last year uh, when we started to know more uh, you know, about uh, the disease, uh, and this was based on the fact that uh, South Africa had uh, uh, the beta variant, or we discovered the beta variant of which the world then stigmatized us uh, in terms of calling it a South African variant. We had to fight against um, you know, those red listings uh, that were imposed on uh, uh, those that were traveling into South Africa uh, when they returned home. Uh, and fast forward from that, uh, we also then discovered the Omicron. And again, when we discovered the Omicron, uh, you know, the world you know, uh, named it as a South African variant. Uh, and uh, the red listing you know, came back, uh, meaning that uh, you know, we had two instances that we went uh, you know, on where we were, uh, you know, uh, trying and successfully reopen the country for international inbound tourism. Now, there's one thing that is still left that doesn't give confidence to the travelers uh, that want to come to South Africa, is the PCR, the negative PCR test that we still require as a country for the travelers that want to come to South Africa. Now, the PCR test has various issues attached to it uh, that makes uh, people not want to come to South Africa. Number one is that it's costly. Uh, we have done some exercises in terms of uh, the cost associated with PCR tests in the UK and USA. And for a family of four, they will have to spend close to 10,000 rand to get PCR tests. In addition to that, they are not even sure if they're gonna be traveling to South Africa. And if you look at them, if, if they are vaccinated, they don't see any reason why they should be doing that because they may not have any symptoms. So the cost is quite high uh, to get a PCR test in those countries. And that money, uh, when it gets spent on PCR tests, it means that they will spend less money when they arrive here in South Africa. And therefore, we're losing out on that 10,000 rand. The second part of it is that it's not easy to get. Yeah, in many countries, you have to book, uh, you have to travel a distance to get it, uh, and that discourages people from trying uh, to go to a destination that requires a negative PCR test, especially when they are fully vaccinated. Now, what we have seen is that in the UK, the PCR test requirement deters about 47% of wannabe travelers. 
meaning that we are losing out on potential travelers that may not come to South Africa. And when we quantify this number, if we continue with the negative PCR regime for those people that are fully vaccinated and that don't show any symptoms, we may lose 400,000 tourists every year or this year, at least when we still have this PCR test. And if you look at that, uh, you know, and you look at how much one person spend in the country, which is around 31,000 rand, uh, you know, potentially we're going to lose around 12.4 billion rand just because we continue with the PCR requirement. So it's very important that when we talk about the tourism recovery, we, we, we have touched on domestic, but when you talk about international, you've got to give confidence. And the confidence is that people will be able to travel to the destination when they are fully vaccinated. They should be able to get on those planes, uh, of course, not showing any symptoms, and they should be able to arrive here and uh, you know, enjoy our destination and spend money so that the 470,000 jobs that we've lost and the 37% of people that are, you know, only getting 100% uh, salaries can increase. So we have to, as number one, do away with PCR tests uh, or negative PCR tests for fully vaccinated travelers. Of course, if someone is not vaccinated, they will require to bring a PCR test. If we do that, we'll open up the market. We will be more competitive. If you look into, you know, Southern Africa or if within the Africa region, uh, the countries like Kenya have done away with P negative PCR tests for fully vaccinated travelers. Rwanda has done the same. Botswana have done the same. So we as South Africa, we're still lagging behind in terms of making that decision to gain competitive advantage. So which means that when travelers in our source markets uh, make a decision on where to travel, they first make a decision on where to travel based on ease of travel. Is it easy to get there? What are the COVID requirements? Do I need to get, you know, 10 things before I get into the country? And PCR requirement is one of those, uh, which means that, uh, you know, as I've said, if we do away with it, we'll be more competitive. We may actually see our forward book improving. So it is one of the things that we're saying is still a challenge. It needs to be dealt with. It needs to be addressed urgently for South Africa as a destination to be competitive. If we don't do so, I've given the numbers of, uh, you know, the potential, you know, jobs that we, we could have, uh, the potential tourists that we could have, uh, and uh, the amount of money that we, could that we could lose. And if we do the right thing by the PCR, we should be able to support about 100,000 jobs. So is that important for our industry? It is something that's a challenge that we do ask you know, an assistance in it, and uh, we ask for speed on it to make sure that the industry reopens, can be able to sustain itself, and we can be able to sustain the jobs that we have. Thank you very much. Thank you, CEO. Um, I think, uh, I hope uh, members uh, will comment on that, and that uh, Minister Sassoon will probably can give us the direction as where things are in so far as that is concerned. Thank you so much. Uh, CEO. Um, Chair, I will now ask uh, my colleagues from the aviation sector, uh, being uh, Aaron and George, to give us a picture, one, as to where things are in terms of uh, aviation, uh, the capacity, and also the challenges that are taking place 
and for George specifically to maybe brief us as to how many international airlines have um, returned and what are the frequencies and how does the future looks like uh, in so far as the international uh, inbound airlines are concerned. Maybe I'll start, start with uh, Aaron. Uh, thank you very much, Chair, um, and good morning, uh, Chairperson of the Portfolio Committee on Tourism. Uh, good morning to the Minister of Tourism, Honorable Minister Sisulu. Good morning to members of the Portfolio Committee on Tourism, uh, colleagues from the tourism industry, colleagues from the travel industry. Thank you very much for the opportunity that you have given us as um, Aviation um, Airlines Association to be part of this meeting. Chair, um, the first thing that I would like to point out is that, um, as was said before by the CEO of um, TBCSA, the numbers show that people are willing to travel domestically um, as well as regional. They are willing to travel um, if the fares are suitably attractive and if people can reach their markets and destinations, uh, the destinations that they want to get to, without having to double guess the, the requirements. Um, so, so the requirements that have been placed on their ability to travel is acting as a deterrent. Uh, in as much as the people are willing to travel for tourism, for business, for leisure, to visit friends and relatives, the moment they start thinking about the arbitrary requirements that um, are placed on them, it becomes a deterrent and they actually become reluctant to travel. So we have seen over the past um, six months um, a very solid uh, growth of domestic tourism simply because um, the requirements from a domestic point of view are not as stringent, but from a SADAC, Southern African Development Community point of view, the numbers are still restricted. Um, obviously, like uh, the CEO of TBCSA has mentioned in December, there was quite a, a heavy build-up until the Omicron announcement was made, and then we were put on the red list, not only by the Europeans, the UK, and Americans, but even some of our neighboring countries in the SADC region, like, for example, Zimbabwe, like, for example, Mauritius, like, for example, Seychelles, like, for example, Madagascar. As we speak, Madagascar still has a moratorium on South Africans traveling to and from, uh, from Madagascar. So that, that sort of dampened the, the pent-up um, potential that was already building up up to December. And traditionally, January and February are what we call dead months as far as travel demand is concerned, because traditionally people would have traveled up during the festive season up to the first and second week of January. And after that, it's, it's dead quiet. Children have gone back to school and people have gone back to work, and there's very little travel. So that's the first point we want to make, to say the travel, uh, uh, the, the, the penchant for travel is still there. People still want to travel. And the second thing I want to mention, Chair, is by far the juiciest piece of what would have been low-hanging fruit, uh, which was well within the grasp of South Africa, um, was the appointment of the Air Services Licensing Councils, uh, both the domestic and international. And, and these councils had been defunct for more than uh, 11 months until last week when they were appointed. And we kept saying, uh, we are actually scoring an unnecessary on goal because 
What that means is if we don't have the, the Air Services Licensing Council, both for domestic and international, what it means is that South African airlines that want to either increase their frequencies from a domestic point of view, or even increase their frequencies from within, uh, from points outside South Africa. They could not do that because their applications were getting into a bottleneck at the licensing councils. They were not being processed for a year. The own goal comes from when you realize that we have lost 470,000 jobs. And yet, other countries that are competing with us, because they don't need the requirement of a licensing council, all they needed was a foreign operator's permit, which was granted by, by right by the Department of Transport. So they were able to, con to commence or increase their frequencies into South Africa, thereby taking jobs that would have been South African jobs, thereby taking income from the airlines that could have been South African income that would have bolstered, bolstered our own economy. And, and, and for us, this was an unnecessary uh, own goal, but we are grateful that it, uh, the licensing councils have been appointed. Our ask is that now that licensing, licensing councils have been appointed, they need to act very quickly. They literally need to keep the road running. There is a backlog of applications for new frequencies, new destinations, and new operations. Those applications need to be fast-tracked so that we can catch up with the loss that we've endured for the past year without the licensing council. The third thing that I would like to mention as far as um, aviation is concerned, in parallel, um, we have to get more people, especially business, business travelers flying again. Over the past two years, we have been able to demonstrate that it is actually very safe to travel by air. We have done this continuously by making sure that we, we adhere to the restrictions and the protocols required by the various ministry, the ministry declarations, everything that, that has been required. We've made very uh, pro, uh, great progress in restoring people's confidence in the, in the safety and health of traveling by air. But when it comes to travel within the SADAC region, people are still unwilling to book in advance because of the arbitrary um, requirements that from time to time are pronounced. And the CEO of TBCS I mentioned this earlier on to say that just by having the PCR requirement, for example, uh, the UK alone, we are losing 47% of potential travel. From a SADAC point of view, by having the, by, by having the uh, PCR test requirement, we are losing an additional 28% of travel that would ordinarily come up because the, number one, the advantage of SADAC is that there is no requirement for visa. So people would actually book within a 48-hour period. But the, the, the mere fact that they need to have a, a PCR test within a 72-hour period immediately puts, puts breaks on their, requirement, on, their, on their requirements to travel. And we are losing up to 28%. And from a monetary point of view, that, that equates in a year, that equates to close to 280,000 uh, uh, passengers traveling into South Africa. And that's a significant amount of number of passengers that would have equated to almost 58 million US dollars that they would come spend on travel and on, on their hotel accommodation and other expend, and, and expenditures. So Chair, this is a very important point for us. We would like for the Minister of Tourism 
to engage with other ministries of tourism in the region to try and, number one, harmonize the, the protocols required for people to travel to and from uh, or within the Sadak region. There is absolutely no reason right now. We have demonstrated over the past two years, we know what works and what doesn't work. And we know that traveling does not actually increase the incident of the, the, the incidences of, uh, of COVID. What, what increases the incidence of COVID are the, the protocols that have been put in place. And the last thing we would like to, 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 rem to remind the committee chair is our sustainability as an aviation industry depends on entirely on our ability to enable and facilitate trade. So that means the cost of trade of travel is very significant in, in, in the decision that making process. We, we would want to have an assistance that comes from the Department of Transport and any other service providers that are state owned to either maintain the costs as they are, because already studies have shown that the cost of travel, the amount that goes to the airline is very little compared to the costs that are maintained by airports, service providers, and so forth. The percentage that is given is that 69% of the cost of an air ticket does not reside with the airline, 69%. Only 31% goes to the airline. And for that 31% that goes to the airline, a significant 28% goes to fuel and other charges that the airline has to pay. The airline can, will only retain 6% of, of the airfare that is charged. We are appealing that we can work together with the service providers to retain uh, or maintain the costs as they are so that we can at least see a significant increase in the uptake of travel. And at a later stage, in two or three years' time, we can then talk about increasing the, the cost because we also are aware that their costs are also increasing, but we can actually maintain the cost as they are at this particular level in order for us to encourage the travel uh, to, to, to come up. And then that when the travel comes up, tourism comes up. I will stop at this juncture. Thank you very much. Thank you so much, Aaron, for that uh, uh, briefing on the domestic scene. Aaron, before you go away, man, I know the members of the portfolio committee would probably want to uh, understand the impact of uh, the grounding of COME uh, in the travel in the domestic market. And if you have any update, if you at liberty to say something, because COME uh, is your member. I think for Aaron, if you can't, it's fine. If you can, uh, please, if you can just brief the committee on that. Uh, thank you very much, Chair. Um, that's a very heavy bus that you've lifted for me, but uh, you are my chair. I'll take, I'll take the bus, Chair. Uh, so first and foremost, um, the, 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 the grounding of home air um, is a necessary evil. Um, air travel is un, 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 unrelenting when it comes to safety. Safety is a non-negotiable, Chair. So the reason that was given by the Civil Aviation Authority was that ComAir did not comply with certain aspects of their safety audits from a safety management system point of view and from a quality management point of view. And those processes are being followed right now as we speak. Um, the, the impact, Chair, is that the two brands, ComAir and Kulula, um, were putting together uh, an average of 35 to 40% of the, of the seats in the domestic market. So that means by being grounded, 35 to 40% of the capacity is taken out of the market. 
But fortunately, we have other airlines um, like South African Airways, like Safair, um, Chemair, and others that have been able to fill the gap. So there is no significant, can I say, um, impact in terms of lack of capacity. But what it does also, Chair, is it shows the whole world how serious we are as far as our protocols in terms of safety is concerned. And that gives us the, the, can I say, the continued credibility that we require. Going forward, Chair, we are um, constantly in touch with Civil Aviation Authority to make sure that the audits that need to be carried out are carried out timelessly, and our members are being, are being kept informed of whatever the, the gaps that need to be filled, they'll be filled. But right now, the only thing that you don't see is you don't see the Kulula and Com Air brand in the air, but in terms of capacity, the capacity has been, has been filled by other airlines. I hope I've answered your question, Chair. And thank you so much, uh, George. On the international inbound airline, just paint the picture for the uh, portfolio committee. Uh, thank you, Chair, and uh, good morning to the chair of the portfolio committee, as well as the members of the committee. Uh, good morning to Minister and members of the department, as well as my colleagues. I think my colleague Aaron has already really dealt in details you know, some of the issues that we're facing as international airlines. You know, as my counterpart, the issue that was raised around the PCR is really uh, something that, I mean, almost every single day I get calls from regional managers who are representing all of our international airlines coming into the country around the issue of the PCR because the travel market on the ground really indicates uh, from their point of destination, from origin to, to destination, that uh, PCR uh, test is really an, an inhibitor. And that in itself, it impacts on the profitability of our airlines. We may look at it from a traveler's point of view, as uh, Chifua has already said, look, a traveler would obviously look at that from a point of travel. But from an airline point of view, um, you know, our members look at that in terms of, you know, road profitability. And that in itself impacts on decisions that are made uh, by international airlines, whether or not to continue in a particular market. And that's really a serious issue that we believe uh, that uh, perhaps uh, through the minister that uh, we, we should engage uh, the department of, uh, we know that obviously the National Command uh, Coronavirus Command Council uh, has been having meetings in order to look into these regulations. But that's something that really needs to be pushed uh, quite urgently, uh, because it will change the picture in terms of the numbers, in terms of what is coming into, into our country. Uh, we can clearly see, and I think that's why our view is that uh, tourism should really be taking a lead in this regard, because uh, we know that in the past two years, since we've had COVID, uh, quite honestly speaking, we can see the numbers have changed from business travel, um, you know, pre-COVID, I mean, business used to travel, passenger numbers used to be higher than uh, your, 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 your tourism numbers. But what we are seeing is that there is a growth in that market, and that growth needs to be natured. And in order for us to nature that as supporting uh, what the minister has put together as the uh, tourism recovery play, we need to be in the forefront as tourism to try and push, you know, um, you know, the Department of Health, uh, you know, to to get into into that space of uh, removing this, uh, this inhibitor. Of course, we do take into consideration the health issue. Now, I'm sure, um, you know, the council will look into those issues. 
And the second issue that I would want to emphasize without getting into too much details, as my counterpart, as I said, has already spoken about these issues, is the issue with the Department of Transport. And again, I go back to the Department of Tourism that we would like the minister to assist us in that regard, because the Department of Tourism uh, of, of Transport should be seen uh, in itself as a regulator that should create an enabling environment, you know, for our members to be able to continue to operate into the South African market. Now, what we see, which is one critical issue that has been raised uh, with me by my members, is, I mean, in the last two years, this appointment that has just been approved only recently by a cabinet, which the department has delayed in appointing the International Air Service Licensing Council, um, has a lot of question in, in the minds of our members in view of issues such as insurance, for instance. The way the extension has been done was, I mean, the foreign operators' licenses uh, permits were extended uh, through a correspondence. And the question was whether or not does that in itself even comply with the um, legislation because it is the council that's supposed to be making such approval. And in our view, uh, that council should have been appointed long before the term uh, of that board uh, expired. That in itself really places our members in, in, in difficult situations whether to continue to operate in the South African environment. And I think the department should uh, of tourism should assist us because I think we've been trying and doing everything that we we can to try and tap into the Department of Transport. Uh, we, we don't seem to be winning uh, in that portfolio. And uh, in, in my view, um, it has really become a, a stumbling block, uh, block uh, you know, for the aviation sector. I think those are the two issues that I wanted to raise. Uh, the, my chair has asked for me to give a percentage of the airlines that have already returned. Um, in the country. So we have about 31 mem uh, international airlines uh, flying into, into the country who are our members. Uh, I think we've got about two that are not our members, but we are in the process of getting those back on, on board. But of the 31 airline members, we um, we have about 80% of, 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 of those uh, back in the country. Uh, I've had a meeting with Air Mauritius, for instance. We've seen the likes of Air Mauritius that have suspended their travel into South Africa, that they are keen in coming back into the country. And the second issue is uh, the likes of El Al, which is an Israel airline that has not operated for the last two years since COVID. Uh, has also returned in terms of, you know, putting its flight back into, into the country. That is really positive. So if we could try and address some of these inhibitors that we, uh, our members are experiencing, uh, experiencing, I think that would help us to see our members, uh, you know, facilitating the increase of the frequencies into the South African environment. And that in itself is the benefit for the country. Uh, I thank you, Chair. I think those are the two issues that uh, one needed to just put across. Thank you, Chair. Thank you so much, George. Um, it's encouraging to see that international airlines are returning because we need those volumes. Uh, thank you so much, George. Um, on the inbound uh, challenges, which I'm sure the portfolio committee has said this so many times, and so is the minister and the ministry, uh, the National Public Trans uh, Transportation Regulation, which is... Um, uh, a big inhibitor, and it's within our reach to, within our powers to fix that. I'm going to ask uh, Haneli to address issues and also talk about what we see as a, a stopgap solution.
whilst we'll, there's a search for a long-term solution. But Hanele, can you take the committee through where we are with this and the impact it has on, on businesses across uh, the value chain? Thanks. Thank you very much, um, Blackie. And um, so let me just get in here quickly. Apologies. Um, so, Honorable Chair, Minister, members of the Portfolio Committee, and colleagues, um, we so welcome your offer of assistance in recovery of the tourism industry. And um, we're talking about a matter here, as um, the Chair said. Um, that has been brought to your attention or, or to, to many people's attention a number of times. I'm going to try and just summarize that, but it is a hefty issue. Um, it is an issue of red tape. It is an issue that has been outstanding since 2015. So we talk about COVID bringing our industry to its knees, but wheels operators were already on their knees in front of government prior to COVID. And we wish it was a case like with aviation where it's only a one-year issue. But the National Public Transport Regulator and their process for obtaining operating licenses is a systemic failure in the South African um, uh, uh, you know, platform. It's causing severe economic and reputational damage to the tourism industry. It is inhibiting growth and job creation, small, medium and large enterprises, and it's resulting in job losses and business closures. Um, and this has been the case, as I said, for the last 70, seven years. Um, our industry is fully supportive of a system that ensures compliance. We, we want this. We, as a matter of fact, um, um, that's a pre when it was still when the um, permitting was still sitting with the um, PREs. And I apologize. So apologies. I, I got diagnosed with COVID yesterday. So it's a very good thing that we are talking on Zoom. My mind is a little bit <laughs> confused with with. Um, the fever and stuff, but this is such an incredibly important issue that we, we do have to talk about it. So, um, as I said, industry is very supportive. We were part of the process, SATSA, in those years of requesting that taxis and tourism be separated, and that's part of what the National Public Transport Regulator needs to do. So, our operators, and, and as SATSA, we represent 1,300 companies in the inbound space. So, anything, you know, with international tourists coming into South Africa, obviously, we were very much at the um, you know behest of COVID and 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 the impact that it had on us. But um, the these operators are trying. They really are. You know, some in some cases they've sent over fifty documents to try and get an operating license. And it's just it is sort of beyond comprehension that you know you are asking government to to give you an operating license or a license to do your job, and it's just simply not coming through. I remember at one of the consultative meetings that we had, the then chair of the MPTR committee saying said that getting an operating license is a privilege and not a right. It, it was just. It was really shocking, but, um, you know, I digress. So we have tracked applications that went into the MPTR over the past few years, before specifically pre-COVID. We had 184 applications that was captured. Out of that, only 33% completed successfully. 33%. That's literally 270, 79 vehicles, tourism vehicles, buses, quantums, uh, et cetera, that were not able to operate or not able to operate legally and what what is the scary thing is people have a choice between either operating illegally and put food on the table or you know just closing their businesses and finding jobs and income in different um, sectors so um, the act very clearly states that it is a 60-day turnover we've had people 
four years waiting for their operating licenses. So many of them have actually, they've paid for the operating licenses, they've then closed their business down and that money has never even gone back to them either. So just, I, I, I wanted to just read maybe one example. There's, there's so many and I'm very happy to share that with you guys. Um, I had to close my company. This is Bomo Tours. I had to close my company due to not getting an operating permit. I had three buses. I sold the lot and retrenched the driver and could not give freelance work anymore. Now he started as a sole operator and he's waiting since September 2019 for accreditation and since March 21 for an operating license. So really, if I just sort of capture what the challenges are, um, it's the way that the uh, board at that stage, the MPTR Transport Committee or Licensing Committee, um, interpreted and implemented the National Transportation Act. So instead of trying to look for reasons, and I'm just going to, apologies, uh, call it what it is, trying to look for reasons to give operating licenses, it was actively looking for reasons not to, to the point where operators had to provide business plans, had to provide proof of demand in order for, um, you know, for this board to see whether they should have an operating license or not. It, the process was still very much approached as a taxi service and we know in the taxi industry, you know, the routes are very important. So our tourism industry is required to say what routes they're going to drive. But you've got an international tourist coming into South Africa that wants to go and explore. You, you don't, you know, it's, it was just, it's, it, it was totally ir or, um, irrelevant to ask for some of that criteria. Um, there's insufficient capacity. This has been admitted by the MPTR right from the beginning. Um, what is quite sad is that we, we reached out right from the start we we had said anything we, we literally would process documents we communicated to our members there was a lot of um, confusion when the new process was launched initially um, and we had to almost uh, write up our own guide to provide to the industry on how to apply to the mptr the requirements are changing all of the time so they you know, they ask for BE uh, certificates, route with well, the BE certificates we can understand, but route descriptions, business plans, historical invoices, reference letters, letters of motivation. It's almost as if every time somebody provides a document, they're looking for another one to to ask for to stall the process. Um, there's a lack of understanding of the tourism sector, as I mentioned, with the route descriptions. Um, you know, it's just not a, a relevant thing in the tourism industry at all. Um, and it does hamper transformation. You know, it's not just the fact that there has been job losses and there's been millions of rands of revenue that has been lost. But it's also the potential jobs that would have been created. So right now, those people with operating licenses are not changing their vehicles at all. They're hanging on to their vehicles because that's the only way for them to operate legally. But that causes um, the risk in the vehicles not being um, you know, updated. So they would have bought a new vehicle um, to do that, but they're not doing that. We've just had an accident um, two weeks ago, a very unfortunate accident on the Skumanskloof Road on the N4 with um, three Belgium tourists that had passed away. Now, in an instance like that, if there is not an operating license and a valid operating license on the vehicle, thankfully in this instance there was, the operator would be um, up for manslaughter. They would be arrested. They would have to answer to court. Um, so it is, it is quite a serious thing. So those that are operating illegally, and of course we are saying to them not to, um, but, you know, it's a matter of putting bread on the table. And, and they when they do operate 
illegally, the um, or the traffic department does pull vehicles over and check for operating licenses. Um, the vehicles are then impounded and tourists are left sort of stranded, which is, uh, you know, from a reputational point of view, it's, it's not a great thing. So just to go back to it, um, we, I mean, we really are open to, we, we want to work together. We want to make this work for the industry. We agree that there needs to be some sort of accreditation or way to say that these are um, credible transport operators. So we have from initiation, as I said, in 2015, taken on this issue. We have spoken then to Minister Hanakom. We have taken it through to Minister Kaza. We've gone back to Hanakom again. Then we've spoken to Minister Ngubane and um, Minister of Tourism, Minister Susu this is a matter that we haven't um, physically or you know face to face raised with you yet, um, but I'll just explain where we are in the process now. So, literally having knocked at these doors until our knuckles bleed, we have to, we've had to take the process legal. And this is SATSA as an association, as an independent association that is the voice for inbound tourism. We had sent an initial letter of demand, and the letter of demand simply was to say that these are the applications that are outstanding, um, and we would like the department to um, process and um, complete those associate uh, the applications. Um, because there is no NPTR board at the moment, so maybe just to to go back into that to explain, um, there was a board. They they completed their duties, and this was through meetings with um, the acting and, and then the director of transport with our chair, Blackie Kumane, um, and broad discussing these issues. And he, he, they then realized that the current board at that stage was not properly applying the, the act. And they decided that they were going to have a new board, which was a great step for us. A new board was then put together or appointed, but very soon after that, and this was just before, um, at the beginning of 2020, just before COVID, um, the new board was then dissolved because they were not legally, or there was some issue around the legalities of the application on, or appointment. I was not 100% sure about that. But literally since then, so the Department of Tourism closed down from April to, no uh, to November, not the Department of Tourism, the MPTR, um, National Public Transport Regulator, um, and then opened again in November 2020, but since then have not been able to do any work. So they are taking applications, they are processing the applications, they are taking the payment for that, but they are not able to um, issue the operating licenses because the board has not sat. There is no board. We finally got confirmation that there is no board after um, many, many, many phone calls, emails, trying to follow up with them um, uh, two weeks ago that, that, you know, sort of in writing that there is no board. So, as I said, we, we've had to take this process legal, although we don't want to. I mean, we've all seen that article about the billions of rands of um, legal, you know, cases against government at the moment, simply to ask them to do their job. Um, and, and we don't want to contribute to that. This is not something that costs a lot of money. We are all we're supposed to be focusing on our recovery and getting tourism back up. So, you know, going to court is not the option for us, but well, it's not the ideal option, but it is the option that we will have to take. So we sent the first letter of demand, literally just to issue the applications that we listed that was not responded to. We have sent the second one, which is um, the deadline is the 18th of March that we've asked them to respond. 
And then, you know, failing that, we would have to launch a legal case and it would be an urgent legal case because, you know, it is lives and livelihoods that we are talking about here. Um, so for us, just very simply then, the solution is a moratorium on operating licenses and there's various ways, details. We've, we've, we've actually written up documents about how we could do that um, just to help MPTR as well to get back on their feet, to get a board going, um, you know, to work with the industry to apply um, the act in a, in a positive manner, in a manner of looking to get somebody an operating license instead of not. Um, and in that time, whilst there is a moratorium um, and people are able to at least operate legally and, and get tourism going again, um, that there is a task team that can work with private sector and government. Um, and I'm going to, um, you know, Dr. Ishmael Vardi, that was the Gauteng MEC of Roads and Transport. He did a fantastic job in Gauteng with their um, provincial regulator entity when they were stuck with huge delays. Um, he put a moratorium on and he sorted out the back, you know, the, the systems in order for them to be able to um a license efficiently so he would be an ideal kind of person for instance who would be um, heading a task force to be able to look at what options and how we can structure it to make it work properly um, and yeah that's so so thank you very much um, to all of the colleagues and um, honorable members and 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 our chair Blackie Kamani I'm happy to take any questions if there are Thanks so much, Haneli. I hope you recover soon on, uh, on COVID. Uh, all the best. Chair and members, I'm sure we'll debate this, but key to this, uh, Chair, is that uh, issues like these are within our control. They inhibit our recovery. This is not something new started in 2015. We just have to have the will uh, uh, to deal and address these issues and do so speedily. Um, because the net impact of this, uh, these delays, one is uh, the cost, you know, to uh, ground transportation because you're limiting the supply of ground transportation. A few that will have permits will operate, but uh, so will the cost will go up uh, because you have fewer supplies. The other big thing is that in terms of job recoveries, you, you know, you're creating our own problem, you know, without this being resolved, it's difficult for operators to operate. On the other hand, you're encouraging uh, small businesses to start businesses, but if they can't get simple things like permits, how, how are they going to operate? So i like us, when we conclude, uh, when it's uh, a handover back to you, that this matter be revisited, and at least once and for all, come up with a solution to this issue. So with that, I will ask uh, Miss Lindela Isabel to talk about uh, domestic travel, uh, tourism. As I said, this, is, this was one of our big saviors. But also talk about uh, the conferencing space as well as the sports uh, uh, tourism in terms of the restrictions that we're facing. Isabel? Absolutely, Lindela. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you so much, Chair. Um, good morning, everybody. Chairperson of the Portfolio Committee, Honorable members of the committee, Minister Lindy Wasisulu, as well as my colleagues, thank you so much for giving us an opportunity to talk to you about some of the challenges that we are facing as an industry. 
Um, although I sit here um, representing um, Sukhosan Hotels, I speak on behalf of, of the entire um, accommodation sector when it comes to, to tourism. I'll start off with the um, meetings, incentives, conferences, and, and events um, sector. Um, the current regulations and restrictions of 50% of capacity of the venue or 1,000 people indoors and 2,000 outdoors with the seating spread out to ensure a 1.5 meter social distancing um, is, is quite um, prohibitive in terms of um, maximizing on, on, on opportunities um, that the meetings um, industry has to, has to give. Um, the menus that we have to serve, the serving standards we've had to adjust, um, having to, to uh, make sure that people don't serve their own meals, it was also quite um, labor intensive. We do believe that this um, is the time for our meetings industry to open up. We are quite grateful that we had Meetings Africa in February at the Central Convention Center. And that showed that um, South Africa um, and the industry in general is quite ready to start doing business in the meetings and incentive space. Um, the meetings and incentive space does not only affect um, the accommodation providers, it also affects the PCOs and event organizers. PCOs are the professional conference organizers because a lot of them generate revenue out of these meetings. So the attendance of members is quite critical. And if there are limited numbers in terms of um, capacity, the PCO will either cancel the event or postpone the event. Uh, with COVID-19, we saw quite a number of events being postponed and quite a lot of them being, being canceled. And in the, in the international space, we, we, we were impacted upon um, uh, hugely because a lot of these conferences and events um, rotate. And if you miss an opportunity to host the event over a certain period of time, the destination changes and they move over to other countries. So we did miss quite a lot of opportunities um, over the past two years um, to host some of these events. And these events also not only help to showcase um, the tourism uh, component of our country, they also help in terms of business development and investment opportunities as well. So we do need to open up um, the opportunities for, for the meetings industry. And, and we all know that um, as we sit in here, we're talking via Zoom and I think the most uh, a prepared way of communication is when you can see the individuals that you're talking to because that's how humans um, connect. So as soon as we can have physical meetings and, 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 and manage the, the restrictions and the regulations that are in place, the better it is going to be um, uh, for all of us. We do believe that the time has come for, for meetings to begin, for people to meet in person and to feed off each other's energy. Like I have indicated, um, honorable members, there were quite a number of international events that were postponed since last year. And this has had a huge impact on our hospitality industry. And um, you have seen the numbers of the people that were retrenched, um, the numbers of people that are still on layoff, um, not earning their full salaries. Some of them have lost their households. Some of them have lost their cars. And, and, and this has also led to the breakdown of the family units. So we do believe that as soon as we relax all these restrictions and regulations, the better it is going to be um, for, for, for our industry. Um, the exhibitions have also been canceled. As you know, the exhibition industry relies heavily on attendance. If people do not attend these exhibitions, then the organizers do not generate any source of revenue, whilst the cost of setting these up um, have either gone up or they have stayed the same. 
So what has happened is that a lot of these exhibitions have been cancelled completely because the 50% capacity being and or, or the, the limitations in terms of numbers have made it uh, unaffordable um, for exhibition organizers to put together these exhibitions because they um, generate their revenue out of the number of participants um, in terms of the exhibitions as well as the number of attendants. So the participants will decide whether to participate or not based on the volumes or, or footfall that comes through the, the, the exhibition floor space. So it, 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 has, it is a double-edged sword because if you don't have exhibitors, then you won't have people coming through. But if you won't have people coming through, you will not have exhibitors because they make their money out of the, the, the volumes of people that come through the venues. Um, as I have indicated, PCOs make their income out of these events and they have therefore mostly been unemployed. Um, so, so, so the impact on the my sector has, has been uh, quite, quite huge. On the positive side, though, we have seen quite um, a lot of increase in domestic travel. We are grateful um, that people can travel within our country. Um, as much as there has been a negative impact in terms of airlift and people traveling outside of South Africa, we have seen the benefits as an industry of domestic tourism and how people were given an opportunity to explore um, their own country. When we look at the last quarter or, um, of, of the last year, 2021 being October to December, um, it was for, for us um, the best trading quarter since um, COVID-19 hit us. And it, it has, Durban as a destination contributed largely to, to, to these numbers um, because it is a self-drive destination more than it is a fly-in destination. Cape Town, we haven't seen really the numbers picking up that drastically because of the airlift capacity, the cost capacity, and also because Cape Town is largely dependent on, on the international uh, market. And for the international market to travel, we, we need, we need to um, do away with some of the challenges, including the PCR testing that our CEO, Mr. Chipiwa Chivenga, has spoken about. Um, my colleagues from the aviation industry have also indicated the challenges that impact on, on, on our international travelers coming through. So when it comes to Cape Town as a destination, we haven't really seen much uptake, but today in December, we did see a lot of people um, traveling uh, locally. So the domestic leisure tourism has been our backbone and it has sustained us um, as an industry. And this was followed by, by government travel and, and, and sports. Sports is still a challenge, um, honorable um, chair and, and members, because what we're seeing right now is that we are able to accommodate some of the sporting teams. Um, we are able to provide biobubble environments for them, but we do need um, the spectators to travel for them to be able to see and watch their favorite teams. Um, it does help with, 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 the, with the morale, but it also helps us as an industry because what happens is that people travel um, outside of their homes and outside of their domestic areas and, and into other regions when, you, when we have sporting events. So if, if this committee can please engage with the, with the Minnesota of Sports and, and everybody else who has an influence on that section so that we can open up the stadiums because the stadiums not only um, boost domestic travel, but they also uh, boost entertainment and the entire value chain when you look at hospitality tends to benefit. Um, spectators do put bums in beds or heads on pillows as we now say. Um, and we do need uh, their ability to attend and, and, and watch these games um, for us to, to see an upside um, in, in that segment as well. Um, sports spectators um, provide different revenue streams for our industry. 
and and those also extend beyond just um, accommodation because they do spend a lot on on entertainment. So we see an increase in terms of food and beverage spend and and revenue generated. Um, having said that, uh, Devon has has been our our backbone. Domestic travel has been our backbone. Sport has supported us. Government has supported us in terms of government travel. We need now to start ensuring that corporates do travel. We need to open up um, the, the, the airlines. We, we need to do away with PCR testing. And, and um, we request the assistance of um, the committee to, to bring our sector back into, into business. Thank you. Thanks so much, Lindelo. I think uh, you'll see the importance of domestic uh, tourism which is always the backbone of any successful uh, tourism destination. You know, one of the issues that was raised uh, at some point uh, was uh, the issue of uh, long weekends. For instance, for the human rights uh, long weekend, which is 21st of March, you'll battle to get accommodation in certain uh, uh, places in, in South Africa because they're fully booked. So the issue there was there was that there must be some holidays. I mean, if you look at countries like the U.S., where I lived for a long time, you know, there's no holiday that uh, uh, takes place uh, during the week. Most of their holidays are over the weekend, which extends uh, long weekends. So if you ask us, Chair, what could be done, done, maybe that's one of the things that we should look at to say, how do we increase our long weekends? Because COVID has taught us a lesson that international travelers, the day that you stop uh, flying, that, that's, that market dries out and uh, your domestic market becomes your, 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 your basis for keeping the, the sector um, uh, alive. With that, I'm going to go to our last speaker, uh, Septi, who is the chairman of uh, our Growth and Transformation Committee. And Septi is um, sometimes he wants us to conduct uh, these uh, our transformation committees uh, meetings in Tosa. So if he starts speaking in Tosa, Chair, don't be surprised. Septi. Uh, Chair, thank you so much uh, for the invitation and to the chair of the portfolio committee, to the portfolio committee, and to the honorable minister and my colleagues um, and the abulis. Um, greetings to you all uh, this morning. So thanks for the opportunity, Chair. I'll try and keep it brief. Um, uh, but I thought maybe, you know, I could start by stating the obvious. And the obvious, and it's come up uh, already uh, from the you know, briefings that uh, my colleagues have given, um, stating the obvious that, you know, um, transformation, because that's what I'm going to talk about, is a shared responsibility between the public sector and, and private, um, uh, private business, um, private sector. Uh, when I say public sector, I mean not just government. Um, I mean, um, you know, quasi-governmental institution as well, institutions as well, like universities when it comes to skills development, um, and CETAs also when it comes to skills development um, on the one side. So there are things that fall squarely within the public sector, which we as the private sector can't do much about, um, and they have a direct bearing on um, how fast we can drive uh, transformation. But certainly there are things that fall uh, squarely within the, within the ambit of the private sector. Um, and those are our responsibility to see to in terms of driving um, transformation. And there are those that fall, that are shared 
between us, uh, between the public sector and the business sector. And the reason, Chair, I'm, I'm starting like that is to say that, you know, from a, a constructive um, point of view, I think what we need to do as a matter of agency is to find one another um, in terms of all these issues, categorizing them and, and really um, joining hands in, in working together to drive transformation. The chairperson um, of the uh, South African Tourism Transformation um, Council, this is Lindiwe Sangwenesido, is very diligent in always reminding us as the business sector um, to keep transformation front and center. Um, even in difficult times like we are facing with COVID-19, which has um, set you know, these processes back significantly as my colleagues have already indicated. Um, but you know, we, we try to do our best to make sure that you know, we don't sideline transformation issues we keep focused on them. So um, with that, that chair as my introductory remarks, um, I just want to note certain things that I think are, are positive that we're observing and you know, touch on a couple that perhaps we can get assistance on. And I'm not going to repeat uh, what has already been said by my colleagues. Um, we will all be aware that uh, at the end of this month, um, um, the South African National Parks is having a tourism investment conference uh, on the 31st of March. And the reason I'm mentioning that, Chair, uh, is because that conference focuses on public-private partnerships um, in, in tourism. And I'm mentioning it also because we're very grateful that Sun Parks, uh, which is part of what I categorize as the public sector, has made it very clear that you know of the pipeline of projects that they're going to presenting there that are going to be released onto the market you know from the you know within the next three to ten years they're going to be very focused on driving and ensuring that transformation is driven and that's key chair because um that really offers significant opportunity um utilizing the assets that are owned and controlled by the public sector by the state uh, and its agencies Using those assets to drive transformation chair is absolutely critical. So I think it's encouraging to us to hear that Sunpax, among um, you know the uh, state agencies, is is focused on that issue, and we avail ourselves as the council, as the private sector, um, as those who will be inv invited to you know um, invest in these opportunities to work with Sunpax and to uh, Sunpax uh, among others, and to work with government to make sure that we realize transformation through those public-private um, partnerships. So we're quite encouraged about that, Chair, and we're quite grateful. But we want to use that to also extend a call to say a lot of these assets, you know, um, you know fall under other spheres of government, you know, provincial government, uh, local government. And some of them are in a, in a somewhat derelict state. Um, and we think that those assets, Chair, um, provide an opportunity for us to really accelerate transformation. Um, if we can work uh, with our counterparts in government uh, to put in place the frameworks and the support mechanisms that are necessary to realize transformation through unlocking um, those assets, um, and many of which uh, are severely, significantly underutilized. And so we think there's an opportunity there, and we, we put up our hand and we avail ourselves to work with our counterparts in government to unlock and realize um, those, those opportunities. So I, I just wanted to start by, by touching on those, Chair. Um, going further, Chair, um, 
I, I think that, you know, we as the council, one of the things that we've really identified that we need to do as a matter of urgency is to improve the evidence-based uh, evidence base um, on, on transformation. Um, a number of studies have been done in the past. Um, they've given us some useful insights um, that have helped shape our thinking. But there, there's also been areas of weakness um, in, those, in those studies. Uh, my background is that of a professional researcher. I've looked at some of the studies. Um, you know, I've had um, more questions raised by, them, by some of them than answers provided. So as the council, we've actually decided that this is an area that we need to focus on and really provide not just ourselves as the private sector, but our counterparts in government as well, a, a very solid and rigorous um, evidence base on the state of transformation in the sector. And to that effect, Chair, um, we are planning, um, this is in early stages, but we, we're planning to engage um, a consortium of universities, public um, universities, work with them, and um, the Transformation Council, South African Tourism Transformation Council, to really undertake an in-depth um, evaluation of the state of uh, transformation, you know, right across uh, the spectrum in the, in the, in the, in the East Coast. Um, we believe um, that uh, an, an exercise like that, um, shared with the Council, um, involving our brains trust in our universities um, will help not only the council but will help government you know to really take a deep dive into the state of transformation and that will lay a, a basis of course building on the studies that have been done before um, will lay a basis for us to be able to dialogue um, from a more informed um, basis about about the state of play in the industry so this is um, an initiative that we're backing on um, this year and, and we hope that it will really um, meet our expectations in terms of giving us this evidence base that we think we, we, we desperately uh, need. And moving on, Chair, from, from that, um, um, I, I just, one of the things we, we really want to, to bring to the fore is we, we would like to call on government uh, and, our, and our counterparts in government to, to really improve um, well, work with us, you know, to really improve their monitoring and evaluation of um, the transformational impact of the instruments uh, that government has put in place. And we're grateful for the instruments like the Tourism Transformation Fund, like the Tourism Equity Fund, which uh, unfortunately is still facing some difficulties, which we, you know, uh, but we still, you know, we, we're grateful for those initiatives. These are attempts uh, by government to um, come alongside and accelerate transformation. But I think it, it is always helpful. And again, I say, you know, I, I'm a researcher by profession and I, and I really believe in evidence base. Uh, and sometimes um, I think it would help us uh, a tremendous deal if we can take a deep dive into those instruments and really, um, you know, see the extent to which they are aiding the process uh, of transformation. Um, and this is um, an exercise that we as the private sector would like to participate in as well, so that if there are changes that need to be made, there are improvements that need to be made, uh, those can be made in the interests um, of advancing uh, transformation. So the call that we would humbly make um, to our counterparts in government is, please, can we take um, you know, a review uh, of these important instruments where recognize their importance, um, of these important instruments that government has put into place, but really ask the hard questions. Is the tra uh, Tourism Transformation Fund doing what it was set up? 
is the tourism equity fund um, with the difficulties. Unfortunately, that it ran into immediately, you know, um, and has not started operating. We recognize that when it starts operating, you know, is it is it um, helping to contribute towards what it was set out um, to do? So the whole thing of, um, uh, of monitoring and evaluation and impact assessment um, within government, we think is an, is an area that needs to be strengthened because it will give us the evidence base that we need um, together as a collective, but certainly us in the private sector to be able to accelerate um, transformation. Um, I'll, I'll wrap up, Chair, by uh, talking um, about issues of um, SMEs, uh, youth, and perhaps uh, women. In fact, let me, let me talk about youth first before I, I come to you. Uh, we, we are the first ones to acknowledge that we continue to have serious challenges when it comes to uh, absorbing our young people um, into, into, into the sector. And, 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 there's a, and there's a lot of issues involved there. Some are structural, of course, the state of play in the industry, the state of the economy, we all recognize um, these things. Uh, but really, this is where we, we, we think um, it's important for us to work very closely and very constructively, um, you know, with counterparts, for instance, in universities in terms of the skills that they put out and CETAs in terms of facilitating not only the skills development, but also opportunities for young people to enter the industry. Um, these, are, these are those areas where I said are shared, where we we'll really need to together put our brains trust and, and come, around, come up with um, um, constructive solutions. We're very encouraged to see chair an initiative by South African Tourism, and I, I recognize a colleague is here, a recent initiative by South African Tourism and NetBank, which is um, a capacitation of um, women entrepreneurs in tourism across the, the country. It's a, it's a young initiative, but it's one that we, you know, we've welcomed um, with excitement and we'll be watching the progress uh, of that program. And we think that we need interventions uh, such as those going forward. And of, of course, there are others as well. Um, like women in tourism that uh, are encouraging. Um, again, you know, um, back to the point that I made, you know, we need to be vigilant to make sure um, that these initiatives that many of which use public, um, public resources, um, we are really honest with ourselves in terms of, you know, how they're performing and how they're helping us drive uh, the transformation agenda. So let me, let me wrap up Chair, with, uh, on, the, on the SME front, uh, SMEs are my passion. Um, and, um, you know, uh, uh, it's, a, it's an area that I'm involved in um, quite, quite extensively. Um, I have spoken about the need to review government programs. Um, you know, the National Department of Tourism puts a lot of money into the development of small, small businesses and incubation programs and that kind of stuff. Um, I, I'm really, really quite keen to get the evidence base on the success or otherwise and the contribution of those programs. I have not seen one um, for, I, I have not seen one, period. Um, and I think that when we're spending public resources like this, it's important that, you know, we, we do these exercises. So I, I, would, I would call, um, you know, on our counterparts in government to do that. Um, Hanali has spoken at length um, about the impact of regulation, so I'm not going to repeat what she said, but Chair, I think it's only fair to also um, express our gratitude as the industry for the initiative that the president has taken in announcing the red tape task team to be headed up by Mr. Ross. Um, we really think that's a, a significant development. Um, and all we, 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 we would say is that you know, as the private sector, 
you know, dealing with the issues that have been raised, not just by Hanali, but, you know, by our colleagues in aviation, um, as the private sector, we're really putting up our hand to say, you know, with this new development of the setting up of this um, red tape task team, you know, putting our hand up there to say, we, we, we would like to, you know, to be, to dirty our hands and get involved in those spaces, because um, I think it was Hanali who touched on the point, you know, um, there are transformation issues as well. We, we, can't, we can't escape that. Um, if we're creating impediments for independent entrepreneurship to, to take off in our sector to, to inappropriate regulation, um, then we have an issue there. So we are putting up our hands there, Chair, to say uh, this testing that has been set up, please call on us anytime. Let's work together to remove those impediments and ease the environment for doing business across the spectrum. Uh, for, for SMEs. Two last things, Chair. We're very excited with the Council that we will soon be, um, we're in early discussions, soon be partnering with uh, the International Labour Organization um, through a program funded by GIZ, the German Development um, Agency. Um, it's called the SHORE program. Um, uh, what does SHORE stand for now? Uh, sustainable and resilient enterprises. Yes, I think that's what it stands for, sure, um, for, for short. Uh, I'm personally very excited about that program, uh, Chair, because it deals with the issue. Um, that is a, you know, is a pressing issue in our size, the issue of, uh, of resilience, uh, especially of our SMEs. And I think COVID-19 you know, showed this up you know, uh, very early on, very quickly, that you know, with all the investments that we're making, in SMA support, which is why, Chair, I made a point earlier that we need to really review these programs and see what difference they make. We saw very early on in the onset of COVID-19 how many SMAs immediately, you know, started battling. And we asked our questions, you know, are we building resilient enterprises? Yeah. Um, and, 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 and I think, you know, this program is going to equip SMEs um, with, uh, with critical tools around a number of areas to show up uh, they are resilient. And I think, you know, the discussions that we're having uh, are really promising. And, and the program itself is a quality program. It's been tested in other parts of the world. It's been tested in South Africa as well. And now we want to bring it into, into the tourism uh, tourism sector. We're very excited about that. And we hope that it's one that we will share the responsibility for financing with our counterparts um, in government. But that program is coming, Chair, and it's our attempt as the council to come alongside SMEs who are struggling um, under the uh, heavy load, the heavy burden of COVID-19, and see how we can equip them with the necessary tools to show to show up their um, um, their 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 resilience. And so that's coming, chair, and, and we're quite excited about that. Lastly, chair, and I cannot finish this presentation without making this point. I think um, we really need chair to focus on digitalization. You know, we all understand that tourism has gone digital. The whole world. The global economy has gone digital. And um, I mean, we have had the, um, the privilege with journey uh, of traveling around the country in the past couple of weeks. Uh, we started in um, Richards Bay, Fatuzen, uh, last week we were in Cockstab, interacting with SMEs um, and, and you know, just talking about digitalization. And it was striking to us to recognize um, you know, how SMEs themselves recognize the importance of going digital but they don't have the tools, they don't have the resources, the wherewithal. And I think that, you know, going forward, some of our programs um, from government need to really focus on this issue, Chair, 
of, of driving um, you know, um, digitalization journey is on a program together with us of rolling out their platform uh, to SMEs across the country. That's critical because it's going to give uh, SMEs the digital tools, some of the digital tools they need in order to traverse you know, the difficult environment we're in and be more competitive in the future. So in future programs, making a strong call um, that you know, this needs to be a stronger focus on digitally enabling SMEs to be able to run um, sustainable and resilient businesses. So let me, let me stop there. Thank you so much, sir. Thank you so much, uh, Septi, with, uh, with that in-depth uh, feedback to this committee on an issue that is critical for our sector and our country, which is transformation. I think, Chair, you would see that uh, we, as TPCSA, we wanted to make sure that um, a transformation is not left behind as the sector is recovering. And safety is the right person uh, uh, for the job. Uh, thank you so much uh, for that, uh, uh, safety. Thank you, Chair. We, we, um, we are wrapping up uh, now and we'll hand over uh, to you. I think uh, just a few points, uh, some of the points that are here we, we, we've covered. One of the key uh, areas that we're driving as a sector is uh, the vaccination of, um, of, of the sector, the frontline staff, to make sure that uh, we give that confidence to our a uh, guess whether they be domestic or international is that as a, as a sector we are uh, uh, vaccinated uh, chair i'll ask chief to quickly talk about the advocacy program which was which is launched by sat and our participation there we partnered with the sat maybe chief just a few uh, few minutes talk about advocacy program and the need for uh, dealing with the travel advisors Thanks. Uh, th thank you, Chair. I think one of the things that's quite important is that, uh, you know, post uh, or living with COVID and the fact that as a destination we have been labeled, uh, you know, by the names of the variants that we discovered, it's quite important that uh, we defend our destination. It's quite important that we show the positivity of the destination. And to that effect, uh, the program that has been launched by South African Tourism is going to be key uh, in terms of dealing with travel advisories. We do know that currently, uh, as a destination, we have adverse travel advisories uh, that are you know, aimed at us. Some of them are COVID-related, some of them are safety and security-related, and, and others. Uh, so it's important that we, we, we rebrand ourselves and we go and advocate for our own destination. And we make sure that uh, we return to some level uh, you know, of likability where we're going to get more people coming into the country. So that program is going to go a long way. And the beneficiaries of that program are obviously going to be the workers in the tourism space when we get, uh, you know, more tourists coming into the country because they look at us positively. So it's quite important uh, that we deal with all these big stumbling blocks. It's quite important that we deal with uh, things that are preventing, you know, tourists outside of issues that we can control. But these are issues of, uh, you know, the, the brand repositioning, as I've said, the travel advisories, and many other issues that are quite important across the world. So we will be participating on that, making sure that, uh, you know, we work together and uh, we hunt as a pack. Uh, because when we all hunt as a pack, we come back all winning and the beneficiaries 
uh, the economy of South Africa and the workers in South Africa. So that program is quite critical for us. We are participating as a private sector. We will continue to participate uh, and we'll make sure that, uh, you know, those, uh, you know, that are wanting to travel to South Africa are converted uh, into real passengers and get on the planes and come down to South Africa. So that program is it's, it's going on. Uh, and as I've said, we, we are participating and we'll continue to participate. Thanks, thanks, CEO. Chair, the last few points uh, we've covered, like the harmonization of travel protocols within SA and SATC, uh, Aaron dealt uh, address that issue. The only other issue that we didn't talk about, and this is something that we get as private sector from the source markets, that we need to go back to the creation of uh, South African specialists in the in the source markets, and these are people that SA tourism was uh, instrumental in training and making sure that they have the intimate knowledge of the destination. And we find that now, when people are traveling, they asking really pertinent questions about the destination. So in conjunction with SAT, uh, we'd like to make sure that we revisit that. Uh, and as I always say with uh, TVCSA, when we say we want to do these things, we prepare to, to contribute financially towards this, uh, these things that will improve the reputation uh, of our des destination. We talked about the consumer concerns and uh, partnering with overseas operators uh, that uh, we've addressed. Chief, you want to go to the last slide? Chair, in conclusion, really in thanking this committee for the opportunity once again for allowing us to share what's happening in the sector. And Chair, I must say we are grateful that, uh, you know, even within the department, uh, we're getting great support from uh, the department on the issues that we have raised, on the issues that uh, relate to other departments. We never had a situation where the department said, oh, you private sector, you're on your own. So we're grateful for that. And to this committee for always allowing us to uh, share the issues that are challenging in the industry and also to see how we collectively take these issues uh, uh, forward and for a speedy resolution of, of the sector to make sure that we regain the jobs, the jobs uh, uh, that, that were lost. The PCR test chair, we talked about that. That needs to be addressed. It remains an issue that makes us uncompetitive as a destination. NPTR uh, uh, issue, we needs an urgent resolution. It's a bottleneck in the growth of our sector as we recover. And our recommendation, Chair, is uh, maybe you can talk to your counterparts in the, the transport or the Minister of Transport. We've tried everything we can to get this thing uh, over the line. But we, you know, three, about seven years later, we're still not succeeding, Chair. Uh, backlog on air licensing council uh, that we, we've talked about in the meetings and incentive industry to allow uh, meetings to take place in a much bigger capacity. We've talked about that and allowing spectators to the stadiums um, to make sure that uh, we help with the recovery of the sector. Chair, I want to, once again to thank you and your committee and to thank uh, uh, the Minister of Tourism and once again for the opportunity to share these uh, 
issues with with you and to have this briefing. Thank you so much to you, to my colleagues. I hand over back to you, Chair. Thanks once again. Uh, thank you very much, uh, Mr. Komani, uh, together with your team from TVCSA. Honorable members, these uh, are our private sector partners. They rely on us to create an environment that is conducive for the businesses to flourish and to operate. We say tourism in its nature is a, is a sector that is dependent on other sectors to be able to operate. Where there are bottlenecks uh, in other sectors, they, they will not be able to operate in an environment that allows the businesses to grow, whether small, whether medium or large enterprises. If I listen carefully to the presentation, is that these partners, uh, these private sector, sector partners are coming to us, they constantly do come to us and they want to have a relationship where they can interact with members of parliament and tell them where the bottlenecks are, where the red tapes are, so that as uh, legislators, we are able to interact with our counterparts. We know previously that there are systems and regulations that are put in place by another sector that has unintended consequences on the tourism space. We can recall that uh, when the travel uh, regulations were imposed uh, by the uh, Department of Home Affairs, uh, when the Anna Bridge uh, bed certificate uh, was uh, uh, introduced, it had unintended consequences on the tourism space. We see now that there are also um, systems that are put in place or regulations that are put in place, especially the PCR test, it has unintended consequences on the tourism space. However, ours is to listen and make decisions from an informed position. I will now uh, invite honorable members who will interact with uh, the presentations uh, as presented to us by our private sector partners from TBCSA. I will call upon uh, first the Honorable Winkler, who will be followed by the Honorable Gomba in that sequence. Thank you, Chairperson, and thank you to all the presenters today. Um, I have some follow-up questions and perhaps some questions to elaborate on what has been already discussed. So in terms of um, the airlines, um, and for instance, the routes that have now become available post um, the COVID uh, lockdown or restrictions. Um, are there any other significant routes um, that still need to be reinstated? For example, you did mention the Air Mauritius um, routes. Um, for instance, there was a direct flight between Durban and Zanzibar that was offered by Mango. 
Um, so, and I know that there have been quite a few complaints about that um, direct flight not being available anymore and what the impact has been then on um, tourism coming into specific areas because these direct flights or routes are not available any longer. So maybe some just further elucidation on that. Um, then also with regards to the state of our airports as they stand, I um, understand that's not exactly the purview of tourism, um, but definitely the first impression that overseas travelers get once they come into a South African airport is that um, a lot of the facilities have become quite dilapidated. Um, I would say um, the bathrooms, especially um, a lot of the uh, airport maintenance, I think has somehow fallen by the wayside. Um, is that an, also an issue that has been picked up by the council and other stakeholders? Because I have received complaints um, from, from overseas guests on that issue. Um, with regards to the operating licenses, um, yeah, dilemma that we're facing and there seems to be a breakdown of communication between tourism and the Department of Transport. Um, I know that there was also an issue last year. Um, I think the chairperson um, of the Private Charter Passenger Association, her name was Fiona Brook-Leggett, I believe. Uh, she had brought to our attention that um, the private tour operators um, had a problem with the licensing. They were expected to pay sometimes into the hundreds of thousands for licensing fees for their buses, which they weren't able to operate during the lockdown, which really caused um, heavy financial strain on many of those businesses. And many were forced to shut down and to let a lot of the employees go. Um, and has there been, I would say, any resolve to that issue? Um, I know that the DG of transport had said that those licenses would be extended. Um, so that these operators wouldn't have to once again pay for another annual fee um, where they couldn't operate. Um, and that is a similar issue, I'm guessing, um, where there's a breakdown in communication with the Department of Transport, similarly to the operating licenses. Um, then the other question I have is about the resilience of the, the sector. Um, and I think someone from the, the gentleman from the Tourism Business Council did highlight that they're trying to become more, I would say, economically resilient um, to shocks to the sector. Um, and what, uh, what discussion, if any, has taken place around the impact of climate change on the sector going forward? Because we are projected to have quite a significant um, rise in temperatures, and that is going to affect um, the southern region most significantly. Um, with a projected four degrees increase in temperature, which is going to see terribly hot temperatures in the interior. Um, we're also going to see rising sea levels along coastal communities. Um, so what I know that the department has undertaken some pilot projects, I believe, with some um, in the hospitality sector, uh, to discuss climate resilience, but just from the council's perspective, um, and whether or not there is a sense of urgency to address tourism and, and the purported loss um, in millions of income um, if we are, don't prepare ourselves for the impact of climate change. Um, yeah, that is impending. Thank you. Honorable Gomba. Thank you, Honorable Chair. And uh, let me start by thanking the presentation that is very much comprehensive. 
and appreciate it. Uh, Honorable Chair, my questions are very few because the uh, presentation was very clear to us. Um, Honorable Chair, my question, my first question is that um, have the department, have the, let me say, the TBCSA contacted the Department of Health in terms of licensing challenges that they have? Have they spoken to the Department of Health in, in terms of, I know that they have a problem with, um, like they've mentioned, with the, C, with the P, PCR testing. Um, maybe if they, did they raise such issues, especially, you know, Honorable Cho, when I think about the long traveling, the long hours traveling with a mask on, and maybe a 12-hour 12, 12 international flight, and you have to be in a, wearing your mask for 12 hours. Um, I don't think even the Department of Health will condone that. So we want to understand how do they think between the, 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 the department and the aviation, um, how will they deal with that? And also the, the home affairs. I think it is important for us to also get to whether the, the, the update from them, whether the e-visa is already functional or is it in place or it's not yet in place. Uh, because I remember there was a proposal for the e-visa and whether it is really assisting or not. And Honorable Chair, I would also like to know um, about the, the routes which are still not open for international um, travel from South Africa going to international or the international flights which are not opened from international to South Africa. Do, we, do they still have that challenge or not? And also, Honorable Chair, I want to know if there is a way of, um, of them assisting or influencing the redesigning of international routes. Because some of the international routes, I'll make an example, Honorable Chair, where you find that in order for you to travel to London, you have to via Dubai. Is there no straight flights going from uh, Johannesburg, O.R. Tambo, sorry, O.R. Tambo Airport, International Airport, straight to London? Even in African countries, we still have complaints that people are saying they have to via, in some of the international uh, countries, in order to via from the uh, South African airport to the, to the, to the uh, uh, Northern African countries, which are in Africa, but you still have to travel to the other outside uh, countries in order to get to the same Africa where you're coming from. So those long routes are really discouraging our, our, our tourists. We really need to look at how we can make the routes very simple and easy to, be, to, 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 to travel to South Africa to and from those countries uh, or to, uh, from South Africa to those other countries. It is very, very much inconvenient in some of the areas. People even spend more than two days on the route, on the road, getting into the flight, getting off to the flight, boarding in and boarding out. You know, uh, you know, it is very disembarking and to to other countries where you are not supposed to be, but you are supposed to be into the next destination. So I I I believe that we we really need to 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 request that they they try to work on the routes to be smarter than what they are now 
Uh, Honorable Chair, again, the last question here is about our neighboring countries like Lesotho, Botswana, and other borders which are closer to us and going up to, to Africa. This um, uh, C, uh, the PCR, are they only representing the international and the flight uh, tourism, um, or they also do uh, deal with the, our, our neighboring borders, which are uh, the neighbors of South Africa? So I want to also find out, or oh, you only represent the international using the flight as a traveling mode. Thank you very much. Thank you, Honorable Gomba. I now invite the Honorable Mpushen, who will be followed by the Honorable Defreitas. Yeah, thanks, Chair. Uh, good morning, Honorable Minister, Honorable Members, the Chairperson of the Board. Uh, Chair, mine will only be to appreciate uh, the informative and comprehensive presentation that has been done. Uh, also welcome the improvements that have been made within the sector. Uh, at least there is hope, Chair. Uh, also noting the areas that need uh, our intervention, like the uh, lifting of the PCR test for fully vaccinated travelers, also noting the question, Chair, on the Transformation Fund contribution, Chair, uh, if, is, is it uh, indeed contributing uh, to what it was meant for, Chair? Thank you very much, Chair. Thank you, Honorable Pusha. Honorable Defreitas? Thanks, Chair. Um, um, apologies, I'm going to keep the camera off because my signal isn't uh, too stable. And thanks to the present present presenters who uh, made the presentation and their frankness with uh, the information they had. Um, I'm not sure if the minister's still on. I'd be very interested, Chair, to hear from her. What is she doing to resolve these issues? I know very well the um, the uh, uh, licensing permit issue. Um, it goes back to many years, in fact, uh, even before, uh, you know, when I was in the, in the transport portfolio committee, where uh, they uh, are obstructionists, quite frankly. Um, these people the uh, want to uh, grow tourism. Uh, ironically, uh, we talk about, talk, keep talking about transformation, and it is uh, all South Africans, but those that we want, to we want to transform that are suffering the most because um, these licenses, these permits aren't being issued. And um, it's absolutely shocking. So I'd be interested to hear from the minister, what is she doing to talk to the Department of Transport to speed this up? Now, I've written uh, to various uh, officials, to the Department of Transport and so forth, because people have approached me in this regard. Um, and it is completely frustrating. It's clear that those people in the, um, in, uh, the NPTR are having a clue of what tourism is about. In fact, they haven't even got a clue what transport is about and permitting and, and why it's required. And um, it is a dire, dire situation. I think the, the speakers were very frank, but I think they're very um, diplomatic because it is a dire situation. People are losing their jobs because of the inefficiency of this department. Uh, so um, I'd like to know what the minister is doing to, and talking to her counterpart to, 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 lo to loosen up these um, dead ends so that um, our tourism can really be ex expanded. My second point is, is also to ask the minister as well as what is she doing or who is she, is she speaking to her counterpart in health? Uh, because they are the ones uh, responsible for the PCR tests. Um, this is an easy win for us. 
Our neighboring countries have done it. They got, got rid of it. And basically the whole world has. Uh, we're, as usual, lag behind uh, in these in these things. And our, um, we are, are giving our tourism away to our competitors, namely places like Kenya uh, and, and even places like Rwanda now and so forth that are our competitors, our direct competitors. And when tourists from our big markets look at South Africa and they see how difficult and expensive it is to come here, they're going to find somewhere else to go. Um, so I want to know what is the minister doing? Uh, is she speaking to her counterparts? And if not, when is she going to do this? Because we are losing millions in revenue. Uh, and of course, in jobs and, and everything else that goes with it. Um, that's really all I have. I've, I've All the other things have been uh, answered. Thanks very much. Thank you, Honourable Defratus. Can I invite the Honourable April, who would be followed by the Honourable uh, S. Manelli, Cindy Somanelli. Honourable April. The Honourable Hein April. If the Honourable April is not on the platform, Honourable Manelli. Thank you, Chair. Uh, greetings to the members of the committee, uh, Chair. Let me also take the opportunity and acknowledge and welcome the very informative presentations. I only have got two questions, Chair. Uh, in terms of the, the informal businesses, which are highly affected, uh, I'd just like to establish uh, that in terms of the assistance, uh, because there is some assistance that was provided, but were, were these also part of that assistance? Or, and also if some of them were able to recover, in cases where they were not able to recover, what, what, what measures are there in ensuring that uh, they are resuscitated? My second question, Chair, will be, uh, though some members have touched on that, the effect on the subscription of members, because most members we've learned that they've they've made sub, they were requested to make submission uh, subscriptions, though they were highly affected by 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 COVID. Probably as a last point, chair, to note that uh, from the presentation, indeed, there's a request for us as a committee to intervene in ensuring that. Uh, there's a smooth recovery path uh, on the tourism sector. I think as the committee, we'll have to deal with that in ensuring that we, we interact with other uh, stakeholders in ensuring that indeed this recovery road becomes a smooth one. Thank you, Chair. Thank you, Honorable Maneli. Can I invite the Honorable Mieni who will be followed by the Honorable T.S. Kweko. Honorable Mieni. If the yeah. Honourable Mieni, are you on the platform? No. I'm covered by other speakers. Okay, we will now move to the Honourable T.S. Keko. Thank you. Thank you, Honourable Chairperson. Good morning, everyone in the platform. Uh, Chairperson, my apologies. I'm off camera. The weather is not good on my side but the network is allowing me to speak today. Uh, Chairperson, I think uh, TPSA 
has identified these challenges and they are they are now bringing them to us as portfolio committee in a way of asking for assistance what i think we must do as a committee is to note them and uh, look for partners because we are not the only ones to address the challenges ours is to identify who is doing what where and refer some that they have identified to those relevant authorities chairperson uh, thank you very much for affording me the opportunity after the presentation which i welcome as other members of the portfolio committee chair i think the presentation is uh, reminding us of the impact of covid-19 let me put it that way also reminding us of the effects of a government's decision or actions to curb the spread of covid-19 what i want to put forward chair is that all of us in the country or most of the portfolio committee wants the sector to fully recover we are interested in that uh, but chair in the same vein we don't want to make the country vulnerable to the virus again so we note the challenges as raised as the portfolio committee but i will talk to challenge by challenge with regards what to what has been raised on the challenge that has been raised with regards to pcr testing requirement chair whilst we will be doing our homework to identify other partners as portfolio committee i think as of now we must lift the 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 challenge to the level of the minister so that the minister can be able to take the matter to the command council where i think these matters are discussed because it's a matter of national importance if the command council is no longer active it be taken to the level of the cabinet we will remain as portfolio committee following it up and identifying other partners in order to address that challenge as it has been raised with the challenge that uh, involves avi- aviation chair i think as the portfolio committee we must dig deeper to identify these challenges and other challenges that we may we may get chair but in the mean meantime we must engage the transport and uh, aviation authorities what we wish are the safer skies chair as it used to be in south africa with the challenge that uh, they have mentioned as inbound challenge issues of red tape and whatever i think as a portfolio committee we have started our homework it means there is something common between this challenge because you will remember what we did last week as a portfolio committee engaging those authorities in that space chairperson i think we have started that it seems to me it seems as if that challenge is cutting across 
So we have started, we'll continue doing it as a portfolio committee. I think we must commit on that one, Chair. Uh, I think, Chairperson, as a portfolio committee, it will not be a once-off thing to start to, to try to address these challenges they are raising. We've been doing it. We are continue. We will continue to try to level the ground for tourism to contribute, so that they contribute to the economic growth of the country. Jefferson, I think we must continue to do our homework. I've got. I was just commenting, Chair, on the presentation and making some recommendations. Now I just want to put upfront a question that says, now that there is a judgment, Chairperson, on the implementation of the PE policy of government, which I think it has brought the, 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 the tendering and procurement of the country, it has brought uncertainty, as I understand its implications now. What is it as a, a what is it that they are saying as a council now that those that are previously disadvantaged are being disadvantaged by this ju judgment now? That's the only question that I am putting forward to them just to understand how they view the judgment as a council. Others, I was making recommendations on others, I was just acknowledging the challenges and highlighting what we will do as a portfolio committee, where I hope also the support of the department to assist as they were continuing to assist in addressing the challenges that we continue to identify as a portfolio committee. Thank you very much, Chairperson. Uh, thank you very much, uh, Honorable TS. Uh, honorable members, uh, we remain committed uh, as the Portfolio Committee on Tourism to unearth and uh, make ease and ensure that red tapes are dealt with uh, in the tourism space. However, we rely on the counterpart or on our counterparts in other portfolio committees. Uh, that is our colleagues in the other portfolio committees, which we need to lobby if we believe uh, strongly that uh, they need to be lobbied in terms of uh, easing some of the restrictions and ensuring that the environment is made conducive for tourism to flourish. It's not uh, as easy as uh, things happening tomorrow or the PCR test being dropped tomorrow because we, we need to understand that there is what informs the PCR test. So for us as the portfolio committee is to understand from a health perspective uh, before we make any pronouncement on saying let's, uh, let's drop, drop the PCR uh, test we understand that the sector is saying it becomes an inhibitor or it becomes a red tape or it becomes uh, something that uh, it will deter the tourist and uh, the tourist will go to a destination where 
the PCR test is not a is not a requirement. However, there are health protocols that were put in place to curb and uh, to curb the spread of the coronavirus. We are guided by these uh, health protocols in which we will continue to be guided. I also want to caution members uh, of the portfolio committee uh, on this engagement with the TPCSA uh, partners uh, that they uh, requested to come to the portfolio committee and uh, brief us on the status of uh, the tourism sector, the where in the in the sector which they are operating in. Today they came to the portfolio committee, uh, and they and they felt that they need to engage us uh, as a collective of the of the of the portfolio committee in parliament. They did not come to the minister of uh, tourism. They will make arrangements uh, to meet with the minister. But for us, they understand that we got distinct responsibilities as, as members of parliament, our responsibilities to, to do oversight on the department. And I, I caution uh, members from, from wanting the minister to respond to issues uh, that are brought to the attention of the portfolio committee. We know what are the uh, systems in place for us to be able to engage with the department and engage with the minister. And we allow and welcome this interaction from TPCSA as they came to, to lobby us. And if we believe strongly that we need to go to our counterparts, our colleagues uh, in, in the transport sector and in the health, we will do so because we believe that there is a case that has been put forward and we, we are understanding, we are uh, wanting the tourism sector to fully recover because it will be for the benefit of the country as a whole. It will create the much needed uh, job opportunities. It will make uh, the vulnerable worker who has been laid off to return to their workspaces. Uh, it will allow for families to put bread back on the table and it would allow for uh, the businesses that have closed down or that are barely not uh, breaking even to start uh, recovering. Uh, they, those are just my few comments on uh, our responsibility as the portfolio committee uh, and our interaction with yourself and also how do we bring the minister on board uh, in terms of this uh, interaction. We will put together our recommendations and put together our, uh, our, our put uh, the points that we'd want to get to the attention of the minister in terms of uh, us understanding where the coronavirus uh, command council e is or what is their take, uh, or what is the, the rationale uh, on the PCR test. Further than that, uh, we cannot promise anything, but say that we will be guided uh, by those that are in the health sector and those that are expertise 
uh, in this, as Honorable T.S. has put it uh, correctly, that we do not want to open up the country to be vulnerable to the virus. Uh, we are still recovering from the devastation of this COVID uh, pandemic, and we do not want, while we are on the recovery uh, path, to go back to where we were in terms of uh, the country losing the many lives that we've lost uh, through this virus. I will now uh, invite you, uh, Mr. Komani, as the leader of this delegation and the chairperson of the, of the board of uh, this council to be able to interact in terms of questions and comments with the members of parliament. You will spread the responses as you have uh, rightfully done with the presentation to your member uh, colleagues uh, who will be able to respond and make comments uh, from this interaction with uh, the members of parliament. Over to you, Mr. Komani. Thank you so much uh, for those comments and your measured response on, uh, on these issues. And I appreciate the questions from the honorable members. As Chair, as you have said, we'll uh, go through some of the questions. There are questions that I will ask that we be given a chance to consult with uh, my board. We have a, stra a strategy session tomorrow, and that question relates to the our view on the recent uh, constitutional court judgment on procurement, which we have studied, but as as a board, we haven't taken, uh, we haven't deliberated it uh, at a board level. So I'll ask uh, the the question that uh, Honourable Trevor raised, that we we write back to the secretariat, we'll uh, filter it down to the uh, to the uh, uh, committee chair. Um, I must say your response, your initial comments about the unintended consequences about some of the regulations are spot on, and that is why we, we appreciate coming to this committee, just to share issues, and, and so I appreciate that you, you can connect the dots as to where some of the regulations have uh, uh, hamstrung uh, the sector. The issue of uh, PCR, Chen, you, you're absolutely right. There's, we cannot trade off our health uh, imperative uh, for commercial reasons. And that is why Chen, we were the first sector. And I'm proud to say that we share those um, protocols with this committee. Uh, we're the first sector to come up with tourism uh, travel protocols to ensure that this sector doesn't contribute to the spread of the virus. So we've always maintained that we want to make sure, that although we want the sector to, to grow, we also want to make sure that uh, we don't, uh, we, we help with the cap of the spread of the virus. And I'm proud to say that those protocols have now become a part of the norms and standards that are adopted by the department and thereby by the cabinet. Chair, I'm going to go through some of the questions, maybe starting with Honorable Winkler. And I'll ask George and Aaron to comment on the 
a significant route that needs to be reinstated. That was the first question. She made an example of uh, uh, Mango. The second question was the state of the airports. So I think maybe, George, you can go first on those two issues and then we'll get to Haneli to talk about the dilemma of the NPTR. Um, so, George, maybe go, for, go, go first here. Uh, thank you, Chair. Um, I think just generally speaking on the issues of the different market that still needs to be opened up, as Aaron has said earlier, that the issue of the frequencies with the Department of Transport, that backlog in itself impacts on um, a whole number of uh, decisions that are supposed to be made by airlines. I mean, we know from an international point of view that Jobek is the primary hub into the South African environment, uh, obviously followed up by, by Cape Town. We see what Delta is trying to do also to try and um, uh, with the department to, you know, get into a direct flight, um, you know, from the U.S. to Cape Town. So those are some of the key markets that are due to, to open up. But uh, those are the two primary, you know, hubs that uh, get into the South African environment. So if you look at the issues such as, you know, Mango, uh, we obviously know that uh, what COVID has done, uh, quite honestly speaking, to a number of not only South African airlines, but some of the international airlines that went into business rescue, some went into liquidation, and obviously decisions are made by individual airlines. We know that uh, at this point in time, uh, the restructuring of Mango is something that still needs to be finalized uh, for them to continue operating the route that's been referred to, um, which is the Deben route. But Air Mauritius has, uh, has been back in the country. Uh, it started uh, as uh, far back as the 9th of Jan, uh, 2021. Uh, I've had some discussions with uh, the chair of Air Mauritius, obviously, uh, you know, uh, as part of our broader objectives to maintain and ensure that the South Africa becomes and continues to become uh, to be an attractive destination for our airlines. But as to some of the other issues, maybe let me start with the airport maintenance one. It, it's a very difficult one because in a sense, that's an AXA matter that needs to be responded by AXA. But at operational level, we've also received, you know, some of the complaints, especially around the OR Tambo, you know, uh, as a hub. We know and we've seen, I think, what has been reported in terms of the huge losses that have been suffered by AXA and AXA is obviously to re-strategize uh, in terms of getting itself back into the profitability level. But some of these issues that you are raising, we do raise them uh, ourselves with the relevant general managers of the different airports in terms of, you know, just making sure that at least the basic stuff from a maintenance point of view are maintained because you get complaints from passengers and that obviously in itself would end up having our airports dilapidating and impacting on uh, decisions that are supposed to be made by travelers whether to continue to come to an environment. An airport is your point of entry and, and that's the first thing that attracts you in terms of, you know, um, you know a, a country. So I think that's an issue that we will continue to, to raise up with, uh, with AXA. As to some, whether or not there are direct flights, yes, definitely. I mean, uh, direct flights to London 
obviously a lot of people do complain about you know the Emirates strategy in terms of moving everybody into Dubai but uh, you know as an association we obviously don't get involved at individual level with airlines when they decide on their market but that strategy of Emirates is really intended you know to profit their uh, tourism you know into that country uh, we do have vision vision Atlanta that's flying directly to between Joburg and London. Um, SAA, um, again, we, we've seen the announcement that has been made around SAA in terms of getting a private equity partner, taking over the 51%. They've restructured their business and they continue to do so. They focused mainly on the Africa market. And Chair, I'm answering this question at a general level because where we are as an association, um, one needs to remember that we are limited uh, by the competition um, act in terms of you know um, what we can discuss with members and uh, part of that responsibility is for us not to be getting more involved into markets and pricing and stuff like that and encouraging them to participate in different markets because that in itself uh, would get um, you know the association into trouble so i'm giving the broader answers in terms of what is out there in in the market as we see it uh, with our different uh, different members so we are not in a position obviously to our, our job is to encourage members to continue operating um, you know um, um uh, their flights into the south african environment without necessarily dictating to them as to which of the market they need to to look into our responsible responsibility and objective is to raise the broader issues that impacts on those key decisions that have to be made, you know, to facilitate the ease of travel for men, for passengers and consumers around, uh, you know, you know, your direct flight. It is frustrating to have to go uh, through Dubai um, uh, all the time, but uh, obviously for Emirates it's, uh, and for the country uh, in itself, it is it is it's beneficial to them. But those are some of the decisions that needs to be made by airlines. Hence, we raise the issues of frequencies. Hence, we raise the issues of the PCR uh, at a broader level. As some of the issues that are raised by our members, which are really impacting on some of the key decisions that they have to make uh, around, um, you know, uh, continued um, travel within the South African environment. Again, the issue of direct flights. We are still in a recovery uh, space, and I think uh, a lot of airlines are deciding on the level of profitability. Uh, you know, airlines can stomach, um, you know, whatever losses for a particular period for a route. And until such time that we are seeing the numbers, uh, you know, growing, uh, as uh, we indicated earlier, that the domestic market has been quite good because it's been uh, freely available as opposed to the international market. But we're seeing more and more of the international travelers coming back into the country with the, with the country opening up. And that in itself is enabling, you know, our members, you know, to continue. Um, um, maintaining South Africa as a, as a desired uh, destination. And we have a responsibility to make sure that we mm -hmm. continue to do so. Chair, I think uh, that will be all, uh, unless if there's any particular question that I haven't answered. As I said, one needed to just uh, answer those questions within the limitations of the competition law so that we are not necessarily, you know, um, outside uh, what the association's mandate is as they can, cannot discuss certain matters with airlines. Thank you, Chair. Sure. George, I think the question that Honorable Winkler asked was, are there any significant, significant risks that are still not operating uh, in, your, in your view? 
not really. As as we said, um, as we said, um, that a about eighty percent of our airlines of the thirty one members are already back in the country. That clearly tells you that you are almost left with the, a few airlines that still needs to decide to come back into the country. Uh, but again, um, in terms of increasing markets, as we said, the issue of finalizing, you know, the backlog with the Department of Transport in terms of frequencies in itself does impact uh, on those different markets and on those different markets. Thank you, Chair. Thank you so much. Um, Aaron, do you have anything to add on this? Um, yeah, yes, Chair. Thank you, Chair. <clears throat> So I think to answer the question, uh, to add to what my colleague, uh, Mr. Motema has said with regards to the root network, uh, two things are important for us to share with the portfolio committee. The first one is that South Africa was one of the first um, 18 countries that signed up to the single Africa air transport market uh, when it was promulgated at, at the AU in January 2018. And that is significant in that um, by being a signatory, it means that South African airlines can operate to any destination on the African continent without any limitation of frequencies or capacity. Um, and that also gives the opportunity for other African airlines to operate into and out of South Africa without limitation on uh, capacity and frequency. The importance of that, Chair, is Number one, to the effect that we have been asked this question by Honorable Winkler about what, what routes are not um, operating at the moment. And I did mention in my input earlier on um, Madagascar, for example, um, one of our airlines, Air Link, used to operate between Johannesburg and, and Tananano River, as well as Nozibi. Um, and because of the COVID restrictions, there, there was a, um, a shutdown, there was a lockdown, and they were not able to operate. Um, and the, the, the Madagascan authorities have now announced that they are open. Um, and to our amazement um, and, and our chagrin to say, to say the truth, we were very disappointed to hear that they were open to everybody else to, to fly to and out of Madagascar, except South Africa. And we don't understand the reason why. Why are we? being discriminated against when everybody else is being allowed to fly to and out of, uh, out of Madagascar. So that's a significant one for us because there is quite a significant amount of traffic, not only for passengers, but also for cargo between South Africa and, uh, and our manufacturers supply a lot of goods and equipment into, into Madagascar. We want to know why is that route not open to South Africa? Is there any specific reason? So that, 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 must, be, uh, that must be addressed. My colleague, Mr. Motema, also spoke earlier on about um, American Airlines, Delta, United, wanting to fly to Cape Town. And, and to us, that is significant, um, Chair, because this issue is already being ventilated uh, in Parliament. And I think Honorable Minister um, Balula has already uh, addressed it. But there is, a, there is a, a challenge in that the Delta Airlines want to operate, and they've been told by South African authorities that they can't operate because of the interpretation of the bilateral SMS agreement between the two countries. Uh, and, and, and until such time as that issue is resolved, it means that there's a, there's a, there's a constriction of traffic. Uh, the USA and North America is significant in terms of the traffic they bring to South Africa. 
And that also flows into our tourism numbers. But if we are not being able to travel because of whatever restriction, it means we are being restricted. And, and that goes to the next uh, question, uh, uh, Chair, which talked to um, the significance of uh, operations direct, directly to, uh, to places like London, for example. So earlier on, I mentioned the single Africa air transport market. Um, it, it is significant in that it is an open skies policy for African airlines owned by Africans. Um, now, when an airline decides to fly to any destination, it is governed by traffic rights. And those traffic rights are given in relation to either bilateral air service agreement or multilateral air service agreements, or in this situation, a global traffic, traffic agreements, where they, they, an operator like Turkish Airlines, for example, um, cannot operate from Johannesburg directly to the USA or to London because of the traffic rights agreements between South Africa and, and Turkey, as an example. So there is quite an intricate relationship between the traffic agreements, the agreements that have been signed between the countries, the bilateral services, and the actual traffic operations that airlines can operate. So it is not entirely the fact that airlines don't want to operate nonstop. It is also because of the relationship or the bilateral service agreements that exist between countries that enable airlines to operate to and fro. And the last question that I want, the input that I want to give a chairperson is with relation to the situation with our airports. Um, just like everywhere else in the entire world, airports are a significant component of the tourism, transport, and trade um, relationship because that is your gateway into and out of a country. So, with the situation that ACSA find themselves in because of a lot of other issues, but particularly because of the COVID lockdown. Right now, the numbers that they've given us as of February 2022, they are, most of the airports, especially OR Tampa, is operating at between 40 and 55% capacity. And it's a very big airport. To be operating at 40 to 50% capacity means that a significant part of the airport to infrastructure is actually lying redundant. If they are going to maintain all the, the entire facilities, the cost of maintenance can actually become um, a, a limiting factor for us because each passenger that goes through that airport is actually paying for some facilities that are redundant. So we need to be very careful how we, 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 we actually materialize the maintenance programs. And this is where we are very particular in terms of saying, maybe AXA needs to look at the opportunity for private partnership, uh, public partnerships where the infrastructure can be shared with other users and other uh, interested parties so that the costs are maintained for the benefit of travelers to and from South Africa. Thank you, Chair. Thanks so much, uh, Aaron and George. Um, we uh, always want to give back the time to the Chair uh, in, uh, in 10 minutes so that she can wrap up and not abuse uh, the privilege of being here. Uh, and Anneli, just answer the question that Honorable Winkler raised on NPTR. And um, Septi, if you can ask, answer the question on climate, on resilience and climate changes. Thanks. 
Thank you very much, Chair. Um, <clears throat> the honourable, the, the question that was raised regarding um, the presentation by Fiona, that is indeed exactly the same issue that we are still talking about. Um, an extension was provided, but that has now, um, I think at the end of March, it comes to an end. Um, however, regardless of the extensions being given, we have a very active and um, a department in traffic, the traffic Department of Traffic. So they would still stop operating and would still request to see the permits and regardless of the fact that receipts are in place or the you know there has been an extension on the act they still fine and impound vehicles so we're sitting on the one hand with a very active and good department in checking that the you know the operating licenses are there in the traffic department and the department of transport who's not issuing thank you chair thanks Hanley. uh septi yeah, um, not my area of expertise, but certainly my area of interest. So I'll I'll give an attempt, and uh, also not wanting to preempt um, TPCSA strategic planning session tomorrow. But um, on the question of um, resilience and um, uh, climate change, uh, all I can say at this point, Chair and members, is that we obviously note um, the global developments um, in that area from a tourism perspective um, with keen interest. And I can note too um, that we, you know, we, we're noting with interest. Uh, we will all remember that at COP26, um, the global travel and tourism industry, um, you know, issued a declaration, um, a net zero um, roadmap for travel and tourism to 2050. I think it is. Um, and that's, you know, the private sector representation there um, is by the World Travel and Tourism Council. Um, and of course, the other party is the is UNEP, uh, United Nations Environmental Programme. That's something of interest to us because, of course, climate change is critical to us. And the other development uh, being the Global Tourism Resilience and Crisis Management Center um, with, um, you know, its proposal um, on the establishment of a, you know, resilience fund and resilience day these are um developments that we're watching with keen interest and as appropriate um as a council as the private sector uh will engage in i think one opportunity in fact um especially in relation to the global tourism resilience and crisis management center initiative is um for a south african university because one of the key thrusts there uh, going back to the point i made earlier about um, robust um, evidence space. One of the key areas there is the involvement of universities in generating, you know, scholarship and research um, on the issue of resilience and crisis management and tourism. Um, you know, Kenya is part of that already. Botswana has put up its hand, uh, and I think that in our engagement with our South African universities, we will present an opportunity to them, you know, to one of them at least to put up a hand and be part of that global initiative. We need to play in these uh, global uh, spaces and platforms, and, and certainly in the area of climate change, um, one of the areas we, we see um, significant importance for us to play. Thanks, Chair. Uh, thanks, uh, Septi. Once you're on the floor, I want to answer the question that Honorable Maneli raised on the assistance of uh, to the um, informal businesses of SMEs and the SMEs? Well, Chair, I mean, there was, um, there was a relief fund uh, that was put out by the Department of Tourism. Uh, I can't remember, I think it was about 200 million rand. Um, you know, uh, helpful, but a drop in the auction, uh, given the scope um, of the impact of the pandemic 
But we appreciate, of course, that there were other competing priorities um, as far as resources are concerned. Um, you know, qualifying SMEs, you know, got 50,000 um, oral each. Um, that, that, that provided some relief. Um, there were, again, still major issues um, in terms of red tape, uh, documental requirements, but, you know, the relief was, was welcome. Um, again, Chair, you know, how far, what, you know, how big a difference um, it made and how big a gap it left in terms of those who could not, could not be assisted, we do not know because we don't have that evidence base. You know, hence my, you know, a point earlier about really the importance in everything we do um, of um, solid um, empirical evidence so we can make decisions, not anecdotally, but from a point of being very well informed. Thanks, Chair. Thank you. Thank you so much. Uh, Chair, the only three questions we need to answer that were directed to us are from Honorable Gomba. Uh, and the first question was, um, have we contacted the department? Honorable members of the Department of Health, honorable members with a great relationship with the Department of Health, up to at an operational level, up to the minister, uh, uh, Minister Joe Parker. And uh, to the extent that a couple of weeks ago, we had a conversation with him on the PCR issues, and he had asked us to give him a two-pager, which we have duly done, and he has appreciated that. So to answer that question, we work with them on a daily basis, and they're quite cooperative, uh, Chair. So the next question, uh, Chair, that she was raised was on um, uh, home affairs, uh, which I'm asked Chief to, on the e-visas, which I'm asked Chief to answer. And the second question to that was uh, the impact of uh, PCR on neighboring uh, regional, uh, on our neighboring countries or on regional. Chief, can you answer those questions and then we'll wrap up? Thanks. Uh, th thank you, Chair. Um, on the issues around e-visas, uh, we all know that the project of e-visa, uh, it's a long-standing project. Uh, it has been uh, piloted in some countries uh, in terms of, uh, you know, there are still other outstanding countries like uh, the big markets like China, India, uh, which are quite important, and also the Eastern European uh, countries that are part of uh, the European Union that still require visa to come to South Africa. And we have uh, been in touch with the Department of Home Affairs uh, as early as two weeks ago. Uh, when they are doing their own strategic planning to say, you know, what are the countries that needs to be prioritized over and above the countries that have been identified that we have done, we've sent through. I think the main thing with the e-visa system is that it needs to be a truly world-class e-visa system uh, that should be able to issue visas uh, with speed uh, to ensure that, you know, those that wants to come to South Africa that are coming from countries that still require visas are able to apply uh, and uh, be able to get the, 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 the visas of time. And again, it goes to the two big markets, you know, that we've identified, uh, India and China. And of course, here in Africa, you've got West African countries that still require, uh, you know, visas, uh, including Ghana and Nigeria. Uh, also, you know, the markets including, you know, Kenya and other East African, uh, African countries. So the e-visa is there. Uh, but we still need to make sure that it's a world class and we still need to make sure that it, it's responding properly uh, to the needs of travelers and is going to support the tourism recovery. On the impact of PCR, uh, I have you know, spoken about it earlier in terms of what it, it, it is currently doing to our market. 
And I think I need to be to be clear uh, to say that what we want is that the vaccinated travelers that don't have any symptoms that wants to come to South Africa should be allowed to travel to South Africa without requiring a negative PCR test. And 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 just to add on the on the on what the chair said, we've engaged with the uh, Department of Health directly, also through NEDLEC uh, and many other structures to say there is no scientist who came to us and said what we're asking for is out of ordinary. Already here in South Africa, we know that if you don't have symptoms, you don't need to be tested. And again, we already have COVID here in South Africa and we're living with COVID. And I think what's important is how do we open up, you know, the markets with COVID, living with COVID, but make sure that tourism recover faster. And the PCR and its impact, it, it, it's quite great. Even in the region, because when you travel to South Africa and you, you're going into Zimbabwe, you still, you know, you will need a PCR to, for, on your onward journey. So that whole integration uh, that Aaron spoke about for, for SADC region is important so that we can have protocols for SADC region so that when people travel here and move to Vic Falls or move to Zambia or wherever, they're able to travel freely without getting these frequent, uh, you know, tests. So it's, I think it's quite important that it's clear that those that are, are fully vaccinated should be able to travel, of course, without showing any symptoms. Those that are not vaccinated, they can then have to produce, you know, the PCR test. And if we do this right, I've, I've spoken about the 37% deterrent, uh, you know, from uh, you know various countries, the cost associated to it, uh, and also the fact that you know people don't know whether they will be uh, accepted to come to South Africa until last minute. So it brings this uncertainty. And also another thing that's quite important uh, to add on the issue of PCR that South Africans that are fully vaccinated, when they travel out of the country, when they return back home. We ignore the fact that they are vaccinated or they don't have symptoms. They have to produce a PCR test. And we believe that if we do away with that, it's going to encourage a whole lot more people to be vaccinated, which will contribute to the vaccination drive for the country. So I think it's quite important that when we look at it, we look at it broader and we say, how do we make sure that we live with the virus? And how do we make sure that we protect ourselves, of which we're already doing through the protocols and the norms and standards and many other measures? But if we continue with the PCR requirement, I just got a message now, Seychelles, they've removed the PCR requirement. So many countries are following up on removing the PCR requirement for fully vaccinated. We are being left behind and it's gonna show on our recovery. And it's gonna show when we start to count the numbers of tourists that came to South Africa, it's gonna show on the economic impact, it's gonna show on job recovery. So we just need to make the decision. I think the facts are there. And if there are scientists that are saying no to this, I think the platforms are there, but a decision has to be made to the best interest of the country's economy and the tourism economy at large. Otherwise, we're gonna be left behind. Any money that we throw in marketing and everything else, uh, you know, it might as well be a wasteful expenditure if we don't remove you know, the PCR requirements for fully vaccinated travel. Thank you, Chair. Thank you, Chief. Uh, Chair, on behalf of uh, the sector, uh, my board, my colleagues that participated here, thank you so much for the opportunity to share uh, some of the issues that affect the sector and also to have the, uh, the pleasure 
of interacting with this committee, which now seems to be we are doing it on an annual basis. Chair, the tourism remains uh, committed to be the catalyst for job creation, and we do believe that we can uh, contribute significantly in the economic recovery that our country uh, uh, so needs, uh, uh, Chair. And Chair, um, everything we've said here, we, we're happy to be partners to solve to problem solving. We're not just uh, dumping issues on this committee. Uh, you know, we want to be part of the solution as a sector. But also, Chair, from your side, if there are things that you see that the sector is doing, uh, give us that oversight uh, uh, from your side to say, guys, you need to fix this. We're happy to be your partners, Chair. But uh, to you and your members, thank you for the opportunity. And to the um, colleagues from the department and the minister, thank you. Uh, thank you so much. That's it from our side, uh, Chair. Thanks once again. Honorable uh, members, and uh, to TPCSA, as led by uh, Mr. Komani, Allow me to, to thank uh, uh, TBSA as our partners. Uh, we appreciate this cordial relationship and the cordial engagement which we have uh, with yourself. It is important at times to listen to voices coming from outside so that as we do our oversight uh, responsibility and functions, we are able to engage with our colleagues and our counterparts, and we are able to tell them that this is the information which we got from role players who are in the tourism sector. They are saying these are the hindrances or the bottlenecks that hamper the total recovery of the sector. So we appreciate this uh, engagement uh, and this cordial uh, relationship which we have with yourself. We will from time to time be in a position to engage with yourself because you give us the much needed information from outside. You know, uh, as I have indicated that it is important to listen, from, listen to voices coming from outside so that uh, we are able to bring everybody on board because we are saying for South Africa to recover, all of us need to play our part. The private sector needs to play its part. Government needs to play its part. We as legislators need to ensure that regulations and legislation that is put in place does not have unintended consequences on another sector. And it's, it is us who can be able to mitigate and be able to uh, leverage with our partners and inform them that this is hampering the growth of this other sector. Uh, I think, uh, honorable members, on behalf of uh, yourself uh, and to TBCSA, we must appreciate this engagement. We see from this engagement that the PCR uh, uh, test does have unintended consequences. And it's for us to be able to, as we engage with our, our other colleagues and our counterparts, to inform them that these tests are hampering uh, the growth in terms of numbers. Because even our own, if we are saying, even our own people who have traveled uh, outside, when they come back, 
they are subjected to the test, even though they are fully vaccinated. The test itself, we, we appreciate that the, the fees for the test has, has gone down and you were very instrumental in advocating for uh, the price of the PCR test to be reduced drastically. But however, these red tapes uh, have unintended consequences because the traveler who wants to come to our shores does not want to be inundated with all these uh, paperwork. So they will look at the easiest destination that gives the same products as ourselves. We know that we are competing with our fellow African uh, countries in terms of uh, the wildlife experience and also the um, uh, coastline uh, we know that there are those that are next door that are saying we don't need this. So the traveler will be able to go to where they are not going to spend so much in terms of um, uh, their restrictions and regulations. We have heeded uh, to your calls in terms of uh, uh, the aviation space and also the transport uh, regulation space in terms of the operating licenses. We will be knocking on the relevant doors and start an engagement with our colleagues to be able to assist the sector uh, on its uh, recovery path. With those few words, uh, honorable members, uh, let me thank TBSS, TBCSA and uh, allow them to exit the platform as we continue with our uh, committee work. Thank you very much. Thank you so much. Uh, thanks, members. Thank you so much once again. Thanks. Honorable members, uh, Mr. Poltina, can you take us through our ne the next item on uh, our agenda? Uh, the next item, honorable member, is um, minutes of the previous uh, meeting. Uh, which we held on the 8th of March. Uh, these were circulated uh, to all members of parliament. Can I then invite a member to move for the adoption of the minutes as a true reflection of what transpired in our portfolio committee of the 8th of March? Honorable Chair, Honorable Chair, I move for the adoption. Thank you very much, Honorable Chair. Honorable Chair, I move for the adoption of the minutes of the previous meeting. Thank you. Thank you very much. Honorable Gomba has moved uh, for the adoption of the minutes as a true reflection of what transpired in our portfolio committee meeting of the 8th of March. Can I invite a seconder? Second chair. Uh, thank you very much, Honorable Defratus. Uh, Mr. Boltina, can you take us through uh, the committee program as uh, proposed by this portfolio committee to have a fully a hybrid uh, sitting where we are going to not be on virtual for the 20 for the meeting of the 22nd of March which is next week uh, in Cape Town thank you thank you chairperson um, um, I I just want to to Indicate if, uh, da, 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 da. okay, okay. You say let's go to 22nd, 
Let's okay. go to 20 yeah. seconds before okay. we give the Okay, okay. thank you, Chair. Thank, thank yes. you, Chair. Thanks, Chair. Chair, as the committee has indicated to us uh, that we needed to have a, a physical a, a committee a, a committee strategic planning planning session. Uh, the plans are, are in place, Chair. Uh, all we just needed to find out now is just to get a, 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 a quotation so that the House Chair can, can, can sign off uh, uh, that, um, uh, that, that application. Um, uh, the application is ready, Chair, immediately after this meeting, it will be sent through to you so that you can see it and approve before we take it to, to, to the office, to the office of, of, of the House Chairperson. And then we, we have asked the, the committee assistant to look at two areas. One area uh, for, a for a venue that is not far from Parliament. One, it can be the offshore area or uh, it can be closer in the uh, uh, sea point area, but it should be an area that is not far from parliament, so that when we are from the straight plan, then the members are easily able to uh, to access uh, to access parliament for for a two o'clock for a two o'clock session, Chairperson. So that that is the issue. Is the is the progress on that? Uh, Chair, I want to also go to, to the 29th as well at the same time. Uh, Chairperson, the committee will recall that we were busy dealing with the preparations of going to, to, to Limpopo. Um, unfortunately, after the Thursday um, uh, National Assembly Programming Committee, we, we were advised, Chair, that the NA has also further populated that week, that week, the week of the 29th up to the 31st of, of March, uh, with, other, with other activities. Now, it means now in that week, one, we will have a, um, um, what, a, a motion of a vote of no confidence to the presidents and the cabinet and all of that. Then the second day of that week as well, there will also be a multi-party caucus and also plus, um, plus the questions to the president. Now, we met, we met as a team uh, to look at what are the implications of this, of this uh, program that has been populated in this way. One of the things that we have found out was that if, for instance, we say, okay, let's proceed and go to Limpopo, that would effectively mean that we are going to Limpopo for only one oversight day, which when we evaluated this, we found that it will really not be, uh, not be will, will not yield the necessary results that we want. Out of out, out of that um, out that out of that oversight, the tribute chairperson, because the tribute Limpopo, what the committee wants to achieve out of it, one we want to visit all those infrastructure uh, projects of the Department of Tourism, as the department has indicated, they've got 29 community-based projects. Then 10 of those projects are located in Limpopo.
So what we want to see as a committee, we want to see that 10 projects that are there. One, what is on paper and what is, is actually existing on the ground. That's the point number one. Point number two, we also want to look at the issue of homestays there in Limpopo. Then thirdly, also, we want to look at the general state of tourism in that province and also how the, the provincial government responded to, to the whole issue of COVID-19 and all of that. So we, we, we were of the view, Chairperson, if then we look at all of these things, one day, Tuesday, only the 29th of March, will really not assist the portfolio committee to fulfill its, its objectives. Now, we, we, we were looking at how then can we, can we mitigate this? One of the issues that came up was whether will it not be possible for the portfolio committee chairperson to, to revisit the, the, the decision of the committee that was taken in 2020? Because in 2020, the Portfolio Committee initiated a trip to Robben Island. And that trip was approved by Minister, Minister Natim Ted. The only thing that made the, the trip not to proceed, because it was, it was planned for the 15th of April, but unfortunately on the 26th of March, then there was a lockdown. Then we had the, the whole situation from that time up to until today, that situation we have. Then we were saying maybe the committee will it not be able uh, to revisit that matter, uh, or we, we consider whether can't we uh, bring up uh, the, the outstanding uh, uh, um, workshop that was requested by the Auditor General to have it with the committee on these new amendments in, the, in, in, in their, in their, in their uh, uh, legislation. Or uh, one also uh, person was also saying we, we also need to look as well because uh, we are told it, uh, at, um, at, uh, in, in Kayelicha, we are advised that there is a new spade boutique hotel spa there, which I'm advised it's a, it's a four star or five star uh, and uh, it's a fully black owned and, and, and it's in the township. We were also looking at that as a matter that maybe the committee may want to look at it as well so that we can plug uh, that date of the 29th. We can have, we can have activity there, Chairperson. So we, we have agreed as a team that then we need to take these options to the portfolio committee. One, we look at the possibility whether the, the trip to Robben Island can't be effected on the 29th or we look at the workshop with the AGA, or we look at an oversight visit to go to Kayelicha to that new spade hotel that is there, so that at least we close that gap for, for the 29th chairperson. And then we will, we will see what the house chair will be giving us 
as guidelines for for the for the next quarter and see then how if it is possible we can fit the provincial oversight to Limpopo Chavese. But it's quite critical, but in the circumstances where we find ourselves, one day will really not be sufficient uh, for the committee to fulfill its objectives. Thank you, Chairperson. If the committee can give us a guidance on these three options, then, then we will be um, uh, glad to, to, to effect that. Thank you, Chair. Uh, thank you, uh, Mr. Boltina. Honorable members, this is the report from uh, Mr. Poltina with regards to our week, which we had planned for oversight uh, due to the program being amended, the parliament program, and the importance of the work uh, that will be done in parliament uh, on those days, uh, which is the motion uh, by, the, by the Honorable Zungula of the ATM against our president, and also the leader of the opposition uh, in terms of a, a motion uh, of no confidence on the cabinet uh, of the president. So we need, it, we need to uh, be in parliament to be able to take part. So this is a three-line uh, whip uh, sitting. Therefore, members have to be there to be able to cast their vote so that we defend, defend uh, the gains and the position of our political parties, as we know that as members of parliament, we are constituted from uh, members of political parties and we do take party positions in terms of defending and advancing uh, our agenda in parliament. And in this uh, day of the 30th, which was in the week of the planned oversight, we had to relook and uh, converge back to Cape Town to be able to uh, carry out our duties as members of parliament. Uh, we are having three options, honorable members, uh, as uh, Mr. Boltina has outlined, in terms of utilizing the Tuesday is an oversight day. Uh, we have the Robben Island uh, planned trip. We can also have the um, a workshop from AGSA and also we can visit the Kailisha uh, product uh, to be able to conduct our oversight and see how transformation and low rural or township tourism is flourishing to be able to engage with the owners and be able to get first-hand information on where they believe we can assist them to advance and grow further. And I am proposing uh, honorable members that we strongly lean towards uh, visiting the Kailicha product as we have a uh, indicated that ours as this portfolio committee is to ensure that our small towns, our villages and our townships are developed and those that were previously advantaged are able to leverage and uh, be able to uh, be included in the tourism value chain and its products. So it will be 
uh, in line with our own committee agenda to be able to visit this township uh, product in Kailicha. Can I get uh, views from honorable members? You can raise your hand in the platform. I don't see any hands raised. She uh, had my hand raised for a while. Oh, I see there is the Honorable Defraitas who will be followed by the Honorable Winkler. They will be followed by the Honorable T.S. Paco. First, uh, Honorable Defraitas. Thank you, uh, Chair. Uh, I just wanted just to clarify, Mr. Baltino, my understanding is that we would have originally the Monday and the Tuesday, uh, I'm just looking at my diary, the Monday and the Tuesday that we were going to do the oversight originally. So that would be the, the 28th and the 29th is my understanding. Uh, and I want to suggest the following. I, I agree. I'm very keen to see the, the place at Kailisha, and I want to make the following proposal, and obviously to depend on, on budgets, uh, on the possibility of us on the Monday going through to Robin Island, and then, uh, then and, and coming back that same day and going to Kailisha and possibly even stay overnight at this, the establishment that, uh, that uh, Mr. Voltina is talking about and uh, then leave the next morning. So we don't just do an oversight, but we actually experience, uh, you know, what it's like to be a guest in this guest house. Um, obviously, it would be... Uh, but, you know, it, it, it has uh, budgetary implications, so it may not be practical, but I'd like to make that proposal. Thank you. Thank you, Honourable Defraitas. Honourable Winkler. Thank you, Chair. I'm sorry if I've missed this, um, but, okay, so if we're going to focus um, on the 28th and the 29th on those oversights in the Western Cape, what is going to happen again to the ones in Limpopo? When would that be uh, postponed to? And when we will, when would we consider those other oversights that um, I think I had proposed to the committee to President Natal, etc. Thank you. Hey, Honourable TS. Thank you, Chairperson. Chair, I consider the matter very important. The one of oversight, Chairperson, who are behind as a committee on our function of oversight, Chair. I am also supporting the visit to the Kailicha establishment as it talks directly to our mandate, but also the issue of Robben Island. I'm not far from it, but if I put uh, those issues in, in order of priority, first will be Kailicha. Uh, I'm not opposed to what the first honorable member have raised. We can utilize both days in oversight. But if it's oversight, I'm okay, Chairperson. But I put forward the issue of Kailicha. Whatever, whatever, in whatever manner it can be arranged, but Kailicha must be our priority as a committee. The visit to Kailicha, the how part, depends on the budget and whatever implications it has, financial implications it will have. But Chair, let's carry uh, that as a priority, the visit to Kailicha. That's, that's my view, Chair. Thank you very much. 
thank you very much, uh, Honorable T.S. Can I then invite the Honorable Gomba, who will be followed by the Honorable Maneli? No, thank you very much, Honorable Chair. I think I'm covered by Honorable Sheila Kako. I'm covered, thank you. Honorable Cindy, sir. Thank you, Chair. I was also going to support that we use the two days as it was scheduled uh, to visit both areas in the respective days. Thank you, Chair. Uh, thank you very much. Uh, honorable members are closer to each other. Uh, we are converging in terms of our responsibility and what can be done to effectively use that week, which was initially planned for oversight. We are putting to the Secretariat of the Portfolio Co Committee, Mr. Boltina, to utilize the two days. Members can travel to Cape Town on Sunday and they can, from Monday, conduct oversight and Tuesday conduct oversight. So we have two areas which we are going to be visiting, which is Robben Island. And we must also appreciate the proposal and see how best can we maneuver and work around it to say when we go to Kailicha, let it just not be an oversight. Let us be able to uh, give that uh, product in Kailicha some of financial muscle in terms of members of parliament having an overstay and overnight in that uh, product if there will be availability. It is appreciated, uh, uh, honorable members, that we, we understand that for township products to be able to flourish, we need to spend. We need to give them that financial muscle and that financial muscle is us staying over at the Kailicha product overnight and be able to uh, uh, give them the much needed boost economic boost. So we are converging on two days, uh, Mr. Boltina, that is Monday and the Tuesday. And then can I take this opportunity to address uh, the Honorable Winkler on where, how we are going to be able to take that oversight uh, to Limpopo, as indicated by the Secretariat, in the next quarter, as the, as the program which needs to be uh, given by the House Chairperson, Mr. Fro Honorable Froelich, we will look at the oversight week that is planned in that uh, second quarter, and we will be able to put back into our agenda the oversight to Limpopo. Can I also address the issue of uh, oversight to KZN? Uh, members will recall that before the Honorable Winkler joined our portfolio committee, because she joined it in the middle of, of the term, we had already visited, had an oversight to KZN, where we had visited the Nelson Mandela capture site. We also visited Mpopo, Mpopo, Mpopo Meni. Uh, members will remind me also the 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 Howick Falls. So we had already done our KZN province. We are now looking at other provinces in terms of ours uh, spreading 
in all nine provinces. We are earmarking Limpopo now, and on the agenda will be the other provinces before we can even think of going back to KZN. Uh, that is just a brief that I can give to you, uh, uh, Honorable Winkler. I see you say that you uh, there has been a green tourism incentive fund uh, been, which has been successful or does not need to be significantly, significantly ramped up. I had written to the chair about the harbor crisis. Yes, you have written to the chair about the harbor crisis, but I am just giving you feedback in terms of how our oversight is uh, conducted. We have had our oversight in KZN. It will not be fair to the other provinces if we then go back to KZN before we even visit other provinces. For now, we are taking our oversight to Limpopo to look at the 10 products, 10 community products as reported by the, uh, by the department. From there, we'll be visiting other provinces. We will uh, see how best we can be able to integrate KZN, but I do not want to promise and say from, from, from the oversight in Limpopo, we will be moving to KZN. Uh, that is just how our how we conduct oversight. We do not just go to a province and constantly go to that uh, province, but we look at how we can be able to do the geographic spread and be able to uh, visit all other provinces. With those few words, uh, comrades, uh, honorable members, because you are indeed my comrades and my honorable members in the portfolio committee, uh, we, I think we have now come to the conclusion of the of the of the meeting. Uh, yes, uh, Honourable Defreitas. I'm so sorry to interrupt you. May I may I say something? Yes, you may, Honourable Defreitas. Uh, yeah, I just wanted just to to I wanted to bring it up, but you were too fast for me because you you're starting to close the meeting, um, and I wanted to inquire. Um, I don't know what the procedure is, and I don't want to put you or uh, Mr. Boltino or the team in on the spot. But one thing that I did talk to the previous chair about was the possibility of us going on an international trip uh, to a country or countries that have made tourism incredibly successful and have used tourism as an economic generator, job creator, and so forth. Uh, it, was, it was an informal discussion. It was nothing formal. And I wondered, um, I'm presuming as a financial year that's just started, on the possibilities of us um, making such a request. I know it's got to go to uh, various people, house chairs and so forth. Um, I, I wonder, um, I don't know if uh, this idea is um, has any support on the committee. I know I'm just springing it up on you. Uh, but, uh, you know, it, it's, it's, uh, I just thought it would be an opportunity, if there is an opportunity for us to learn from other countries that have made a great success of tourism. Thank you. Uh, the proposal is, is very much in order, uh, Honorable Defreitas. Uh, in, in a term of uh, members of parliament, they do undertake an international trip. What we can do is we can ask the content advisor and the researcher and give them perhaps uh, two to three months 
to be able to put to us the concept and look into which country would be uh, ideal for us to visit in terms of our community priorities and our community agenda uh, and see which country we can learn best practices. I think it's, 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 it's very much in order for you to bring it to the agenda of the committee so that we can start a work by getting our content advisor, Dr. Kuzuayo, and uh, our researcher, uh, Ms. Sisanda Loni, to be able to start putting to us a concept and look at which countries, perhaps give us three countries, and then we can come back as a come back, they can bring back a presentation to the portfolio committee, and we can engage and then take a decision, a collective decision as a portfolio committee to say which country are we inclined to. Then from there, we can then put the application to the house chairperson to be able to consider uh, our portfolio committee for the international trip. Uh, can I then invite Mr. Boltina to take us through to announcements? Okay, um, uh, thank you, Chair. I, I have no further announcement on my side, Chairperson. Just, just to add to what you are saying, Chair, I, I, I thought uh, I was going to, uh, to indicate it to, to, to Mr. Defreitas. Can, can we take the matter to, to, to the strategic planning session so that when we deal with international study tours, then that matter can fall there. We deliberate on it, we exhaust it, and then we come up with the with with the name as you have indicated say, of three countries or five countries uh, where we can we can make a, a a decision as to where to go members will recall before we once talked about um, where we were um about we spoke about uh, France and all of those things. So a number of things happened between that time and now. Obviously, when we deal with the straight plan, I think the committee will have to give us some some clear direction as to exactly from now in the term of this committee, what do we do in as far as the international uh, uh, study tour study tours are concerned. Thank you, Chairperson. Thank you, Chair. Uh, thank you very much. Uh, to add on that, it is going to be our decision. It will be a collective decision. As members of parliament, uh, honourable members and comrades, it is okay to persuade each other, to be able to engage with each other frankly, and to be able to allow yourself to be persuaded uh, by another member. And uh, it does not necessarily mean that... Uh, we do not take views from, from, from others who are in the opposition or others who we are not inclined uh, to or do not have the same uh, strategic uh, ideals, but we are, uh, as members of parliament, uh, engaging with each other and are open to persuasion. And that's what we are going to be doing. And that's what we are going to be doing as we plan uh, strategically uh, in terms of our committee, uh, this coming uh, week, we will be allowing ourselves to be persuaded and uh, give. When then we're going to give the team that is leading us in terms of content the opportunity to be able to bring facts before us, 
Uh, and therefore, once we have gathered all that, we will be able to then take a decision. With those few words, uh, honorable members, allow me then to uh, thank you very much for your robust engagement as members of uh, parliament uh, assigned to this portfolio committee on tourism. Uh, we shall see each other physically uh, in the next meeting of the 22nd. And thank you very much. The meeting is adjourned. Thank you, Chairperson. <clears throat> thank you, Honorable Chair. Long live the Chair. Recording stopped.